Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com or Patreon.com slash SpiritBladeProductions. Ooh, on the show today, all my little uh, ins and outs and tr- transitory transitional thoughts or whatever, I'm going to try and keep really short because this show is going to be huge. It kind of got away from me <laughs> a little bit, uh, but an E3 2020 began earlier than I thought it was going to, and so I felt like I had to get my wish list and uh, predictions episode out uh, earlier than usual. I wasn't planning on producing that for another couple of weeks, but then Google Stadia did its thing this week and uh, other stuff that I things got moved around. So whatever it was I said I was going said last week is probably going to be on the show show this week. You're you're probably going to be missing it. So, but it's just been bumped. <laughs> so anyway, racing along here. Unny3 2020 begins with uh, I'm going to share reactions to Google Stadia's first of two digital events uh, this season and then also my predictions and wish list for upcoming game video game related announcements in this season of Un-E3 and then we're going to explore the idea of a digital afterlife a little bit with the uh, Amazon series premiere of Upload which I checked out and uh, I'll share some Christian video game news in the uh, Christian Geek News Radar segment. And then finally, I'm going to say thank you and express some gratitude a bit about reaching this 600th episode of the Christian Geek Central podcast. And of course, more assorted topics based on your questions, comments, feedback, and stuff like that, uh, and also related to my Geek Week. So that's what's going on. Check the timestamps for more details. Here we go. Another achievement unlocked. I bet I got more achievements than anybody I know. Yes, sitting in front of a video game for five hours a day is quite an achievement. See, this is why I don't like talking to you. Then why don't you spend more time with real people? Because real people don't respond to console commands. Wow, Peter. You unlocked yet another achievement. You must have more achievements than anyone you know. Behold. You are great, and greatly to be praised. Yeah, better. Well, because of the coronavirus, there is no E3 Expo this year for the first time in a long time. But that doesn't mean that we can't still do something, thanks to the genius of Lewis Carroll. As we all know, we can celebrate un E3 2020, which is what uh, I'm going to be doing with Christian Geek Central this year. First off, we had Stadia Connect. Now, this is the first of two. Another one's supposed to be coming later on in the summer. Uh, Looks like maybe they're going to double dip a little bit in that time range uh, that 
E3 was previously scheduled for to kind of get ahead of the game a little bit now, because in all likelihood, other companies who had already planned to release a bunch of news around E3 time this year are still going to be releasing it somehow, some way. It's just going to be interesting to see how and when it all trickles out, what explosions happen here and there. Well, this seemed like the first starting shot of uh, what I'm calling un-E3 2020. Um, basically, Stadia was riding on the, the, the kind of momentum that they built with the recent two-month trial they made available for everyone that wants to try Stadia Pro for free, which allows you to take advantage of some of the benefits of that tier of their service, as opposed to just the free version that's available to anybody. And one of the benefits is a bunch of free games uh, that you're able to take advantage of. And they listed a bunch of them, uh, which include in the coming in the fall... Uh, oh, maybe... Let's see. Was this a free one or not? I can't remember. No, not free, uh, but available. This fall, Jedi Fallen Order, and then Madden, uh, NFL, blah, blah, sportsy something, and FIFA. Uh, interesting, interesting. I mean, these are both games from uh, EA, a major publisher, and uh, Jedi Fallen Order was a big success for them. But then these other two games, Madden and FIFA, although they're very huge, definitely said to me, uh, the well, along with some other things, other games they mentioned, started to paint a picture to me of what kind of audience they are maybe trying to reach as I speculate looking at this. So let me just continue with what else I saw and what kind of I think feeds into that theory. Uh, the next game they spotlighted was Doom Eternal, which has been available on the service for a little while now. Uh, and they, you know, that's known for being a very fast and frenetic game that you would uh, require really quick response time. And so that's kind of been like their flagship title in a sense to showcase what Stadia is capable of and how they compensate for lag and things like that. And reportedly a number of people have had uh, good experiences playing Doom Eternal. Not necessarily like exactly the same as playing it on a console just in your own home, but uh, but still very, very good. Uh, so they spotlighted that. Then Octopath Traveler, which they said is available today, which really caught my interest. I've always been interested in that title, but it's been kind of stranded on uh, a Nintendo console that I have no interest in getting, and so that certainly got my attention. Then they really started moving into... Um, like some family-oriented or casual game-oriented type stuff. There's Rock of Ages 3 that's coming in June. Um, they did break that rhythm a little bit with uh, Zombie Army 4 releasing on May 1st. I'm a little bit curious about that. Uh, that's coming to, uh, uh, to the pro free games lineup on uh, May 1st. And then they got into Wave Break. They showed a promo for that. That's coming first to Stadia the sum in the summer of 2020. And then they had a game called Ember. Early access is starting May 21st. A game called Get Packed. And so there was just kind of a, a slew, you know, of games that they were showing that seemed to, including you know, a lot in the featured free games at the pro tier, seemed to be lighter games. Certainly not like really intense twitchy reflex type titles you know but uh, definitely had a little bit more of a cartoony family friendly kind of vibe to them didn't look like games that required a lot of um 
investment in understanding their complex systems or investment in getting really good at the reflexes and the timing and all those kinds of other disciplines that are true of a lot of action games, but rather games that are pretty easy to just sit down and start playing and understand easily, you know, which is to say the more casual market type of game as opposed to the kind of like a hardcore quote unquote gamer or like the really geeky gamer, you know, who's going to uh, enjoy games largely that require more of an investment in some form or another in terms of your involvement, your commitment to the game and to learning the game. Um, they uh, near the end showcased PUBG, which is you know second runner, if that these days, to f- the huge runaway success of Fortnite. And so I, I think that it was a good title for them to have to again reach to reach out to some of those more kind of core gamers but again the, the general uh the general impression that I got from this event and for what Stadia is all about is that it's not necessarily for the hardcore gamer but maybe for the the mom and dad who used to be much more involved in the hobby, but now for financial reasons or time constraints or whatever reason, they just aren't they just aren't as immersed in the hobby as they used to be, you know, and so they might be looking for something that's going to be more cost effective, that's gonna be a little bit more risk-free to kind of try out and see if maybe, you know, this would be the right fit for them and their family, you know, without having to invest in a huge console or a great PC or something like that. So I think there's an audience potentially for this uh but it's probably not the you know the audience of like you know hardcore gamers you know people that really like uh video games as their main hobby um and that all still depends on having an internet connection that is not going to cause you lag or problems and stuff or that's going to cut out on you now and then personally you know i haven't even bothered trying out Google Stadia, partly because of time constraints, but also because I just have enough issues with on with games that have online requirements like Ghost Recon Breakpoint, uh, that now and then you'll the, the, you'll lose your connection to the server, you know, and that could be something on the publisher's end, or it could be something on something going on in your house, my house in particular, something going on in your neighborhood with the service. I mean, there are so many stopping points between A and B that could be disrupted and that I've experienced disruption in that I'm like, I'm not at all interested in playing games uh, that are dependent moment to moment on having a good online connection. If you guys do want me to test out Stadia uh, with the, the thing they're going that they're doing right now and, uh, and kind of walk you through that experience, then uh, let me know. If I hear from enough of you, I will definitely seriously consider that. But uh, anyway, those are my thoughts for now. I, I do think that like for audience and audience of Christians in particular who are trying to be responsible with their finances, who maybe are interested in gaming, but you know they just are looking at what they want to do with their money, what they uh, believe that God has called them to do in terms terms of how they prioritize their finances, I can see a number of scenarios of Christians who are really trying to be God-honoring with their finances, um, and given where their interests lie, that they would look at this and say, this is this is a good fit for where I am at, for where God has me, for where God has wired my current interests, and, you know, the way I recharge in my, uh, in my free time, you know, so uh, I think this could be a great God-honoring fit for a particular type of gamer. I don't think that gamer's me. And I don't think it's going to be a lot of like, you know, uh, like I said, uh, 
geeks that make gaming their primary hobby, if not you know one of their primary hobbies. But uh, but I'd be curious to see what you guys think of Google Stadia these days, and uh, what more you might like from me uh, regarding Google Stadia. I do plan on uh, taking a look at their next Connect event later on in the summer and giving you my thoughts on that. But that is all for now. I will be uh, keeping track of all the big and interesting news coming out from various outlets and sources in place of E3. I mean, we've got IGN's Summer of Gaming event throughout June, GameSpot's Play for All event. Microsoft is uh, strongly rumored to have an event incoming, maybe any day or any week now. And there's still the big question of when... Uh, Sony is going to do their big PlayStation 5 reveal, so there's uh, all kinds of possibilities in addition to the things we already know are uh, coming or very likely to be coming in the month of June. Everyone's kind of trying to create their own thing to fill in for uh, E3, but, you know, it's all just a bunch of un-E3 to me, which uh, I still look forward to enjoying even as I try to keep my hype and expectations in check. So, with that in mind... Uh, once again, I'm going to share both my jaded predictions and my totally unreasonable wish list for un-E3 2020, starting with predictions and wishes for the big publishers, followed by wishes for games I'd like to have announced, and finally, a few uh, rapid-fire wishes in general for uh, un-E3. Now, I've gotten no special insight or info, uh, but a number of my past wish list items have strangely come true, so we'll see what happens this year, uh, and stay tuned again from now through the end of June. I'm going to be posting content in reaction to what I see and hear as I immerse myself in the online coverage of all this news. For now, here are my jaded predictions and unreasonable wishes for E3 2020, starting with EA. Uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order was, uh, you know, a good moment for them last year. It was a solid game, not something that set the world on fire, but fans did seem to really appreciate it. It was a significant step in the right direction or a step back toward something that fans would at least not hate them for. Uh, but let's get my jaded predictions out of the way first. I think that we'll probably get some kind of a video from them that features developers rather than, you know, the corporate suits. Uh, I That's a jaded prediction because I think it's going to be kind of an effort on their part to seem like, you know, uh, they're very grassroots and seem like they're all about the developers and stuff like that. But I think that, I don't know, my, there's a jaded part of my heart that just thinks that that's, uh, again, them really trying to come across a certain way, but not genuinely being authentic, you know, can't know their hearts. So uh, take that with a grain of salt. My second jaded prediction is that there will be a restated commitment uh, from them to improve Anthem uh, with some update details, but it's still going to seem very much too little too late for that game. My third jaded prediction is that really uh, there's not going to be any trust built between them and fans, that that generally the reaction is going to be like, okay, we'll see, but there's not going to be anything that's really going to uh, win back a significant number of hearts and, and trust for EA this year. Uh, and then my final jaded prediction for EA is that there will be some kind of like a prepackaged, since everything's going to be digital anyway, 
corporate or very corporate feeling or very flashy, very heavily produced announcement video or videos that are lacking clear gameplay, that are just kind of giving us a surfacey thing, you know, all all show, uh, but not really giving us clear ideas and, and evidence that, okay, these games are actually close to being done, and here's what the game is actually going to be. Uh, uh, they seem to be kind of in a state of flux and uh, kind of maybe scrambling a bit to figure out how to make use of their resources uh, in a way that's going to really engage with fans. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, my first wish for EA is that we'll get a Dragon Age 4 full reveal uh, with a 2021 or earlier release date. And my uh, sub-wish in that category is that it will seem to be a further return to the gameplay of Dragon Age Origins. They really moved away toward action and stuff with uh, Dragon Age 2 uh, and took a step back toward it with Dragon Age Inquisition. I'd like to see even more of like, this is like, make an RPG for RPG lovers. Instead of trying to please all kinds of audiences and people that aren't into RPGs, make an RPG for RPG gamers. Remember your roots, Bioware at least. Uh, even though so many people that define those roots are long gone. My second wish for EA is... <laughs> Ah, I was going to say it's a long shot, but it might not be as a long shot as I as I think. Uh, I'd like to get a remastered uh, re-release of Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. They, as the publisher of that game, have the rights to republish that game if they want to. They don't seem to be really big into remasters. They've been very vocal about the idea of not remastering massive the Mass Effect games. If they're not going to you know remaster those, then a, a Kingdoms of Abominable Reckoning remaster seems really really far fetched. But we haven't heard them really express that stance that I recall in a while, which means we could actually get you know an announcement about a Mass Effect uh, remaster of that trilogy, which would be great, you know. <laughs> but I'm not going to. I'd rather if I'm going to use my wishes like they have any power, uh, use it to get a Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning remaster. Uh, and then my third and final wish for EA is that honestly, that they'll just present anything of interest to me and also make some immediate actions that build trust. Maybe have some update go live that really uh, indicates their that they are listening to uh, their their customers and really trying to adapt and respond more to what their customers want instead of you know their more mercenary corporate uh, tactics that they have historically used year after year after year. So I think actions are going to speak a whole lot more loudly than words. And so some kind of action from them would be great, but I don't think we're going to get that. And I don't think we're going to get anything that is of remote interest to me. Um, yeah, oh gosh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, that was supposed to be a wish, not a jaded prediction. Um, I think Dragon Age 4 could interest me. Actually, I think, yeah, I think there could be some things that would interest me. So I got I got my wires crossed there. Anyway, moving on. Microsoft! Uh, okay, well, once again, this year could be the year that Microsoft wins me back. You know, I had a bad experience with the hardware side of Xbox 360, and after the launch of Xbox One, I didn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Uh, and I've said for a while I'm never going to buy another Xbox console, but year after year, you know, recently they've been making decisions that I think could accumulate into a product that would win me back. Um, maybe not as my main console purchase, but maybe as a secondary console that I would buy at some point. I, I don't know. Um, so uh, yeah, they could at least get me planning my budget to include like a lower end version of their new console. Let's get my jaded predictions out of the way. Just two. 
Uh, first, I think that uh, the exclusives revealed will be three or less, and that they will not be in genres that appeal to me. Um, and when I say exclusives, you know, they've already said that they're not going to have exclusives for the Xbox Series X, their new upcoming console, for one to two years uh, of, from, of its launch, you know. So they're, but, but they're still, you know, I'm sure, I would think, going to have exclusives that are exclusive to the Xbox ecosystem. You know, they're not going to be also on Sony's console or also on Nintendo, you know, maybe in some cases not also on PC, but I would guess that they would actually, you know, try to double up and have them on PC as well, given their Play Anywhere initiative of recent years. But um, the whatever exclusive they do reveal, it'll be three or less and genres that have no appeal to me. Second uh, and final jaded prediction for Microsoft is that they will reveal their new console fully with a price point of $549 or higher. Now, my wish is that we will get a slim model of their new console, and I think this is fairly, you know, reasonable, priced at $449 or lower. Suddenly, I'm second-guessing myself. They haven't announced this already, have they? No, I don't think, I don't think we have any price information, but uh, I think I've just been listening to a lot of people speculating. But yeah, a slim model revealed at $449 or lower uh, would really catch my interest. Uh, not something that I would necessarily buy right away, but when that price drops 50 bucks, you know, to $399, you know, then maybe in two or three years, you know, I would pick up something like that. Um, because I wouldn't mind having a version that didn't have the disk drive, which is kind of like the, the big rumor is that they'll release a slim version that doesn't have the disk drive that will only play games that you download digitally. And I could just use it as my machine to play uh, what can only be played on an Xbox console, you know. So, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, my second wish is that they will just unleash their exclusives, you know, that we'll get... Halo Infinite that in, in and it'll be revealed to be a, a type of maybe like a soft reboot to the series so that it can welcome new players that really aren't familiar who haven't been Xbox players in the past who don't know all the lore about Master Chief and and Kurtona what's the what's the weird AI character's name you Xbox fans can tell me it's some kind of some kind of name. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, none of that business. Just like give us a new story with a new main character in that universe that relaunches the, the franchise as a whole and welcomes new players in. Um, and Obsidian RPG, I know it's a bit early to ask for something like that since we just got the Outer Worlds from them, you know, this last year. But even just a tease of kind of what they're working on next. Or you know what would be really great, actually? Would be a tease... Uh, this is still too soon for uh, Pillars of Eternity three. Uh, it, I guess it feels too soon because it was just released on consoles. the The second one was just released on consoles not too long ago. But I think that it, you know, it, the second one's been on PC for two or three years. I think so. I think it, actually they could easily have had a team working on uh, Pillars of Eternity three for a while now, and they'd be ready to share something of it. And hopefully, with them being owned by Microsoft now, they would really uh, be putting resources into it so that at launch it could be something that appears both on PC and console and I, I assume it would be an exclusive to Xbox this time. Um, or if I can't get that, I, I would like for them to just lean heavily into their features over exclusives approach. Uh, they seem to have really been 
you know, working to promote Xbox Game Pass and uh, just kind of other like uh, features like backwards compatibility and stuff, as opposed to really trumpeting the exclusive games that they have. So I'd be open to them just leaning into features more, maybe revealing some uh, delightful new surprises when it comes to their features. Uh, so that would be really cool to see that wish come through. And then my final wish for Microsoft is just kind of like the X factor, you know, blow my mind and win me back. Do something surprising. You know, I, even though I had issues with the 360s hardware, I played a ton and enjoyed a ton of great games on that console. I still own and go back to a, a number of them. And so I would love for them to do something that just says, you know what, I cannot deny that I want to come back to Xbox. That would be cool. It would take something significant, probably more than one significant things. But hey, I am game for that. I am game for that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, just set a strong bar for Sony to have to react to so that distinctions at the very least between the two consoles can be made absolutely tr clear so that consumers can really have a good idea of, you know, which one is the right, uh, choice for them. Bethesda has been very clear saying that they are not doing any kind of digital showcase for, uh, Bethesda this year, but... That technically doesn't rule out some kind of a single game focused digital event, like a big reveal for Starfield, for example, or the next Wolfenstein game. You know, I can imagine them doing like a, uh, you know, kind of a Nintendo Direct style thing that's just for one game um, that would not be a digital event of showcasing Bethesda as a whole. So I'm still open, at least, if not hopeful, to that possibility. And gosh, right now, between Oblivion. Skyrim and Fallout, you know, there were about four years of dev time between, uh, the, you know, each of those games. Skyrim, let me put this in perspective, Skyrim was released in t November of 2011, okay? We are almost 18 months from the 10-year anniversary of the last true Elder Scrolls games release. Um, meantime, you know, they've been diversifying, they've been experimenting... You know, I, I can appreciate that. I released an audio drama trilogy, finished releasing it a few years ago, and between the second and third part, there was an eight-year gap. I know that when you, as a creator, whether you're just a single creator or a larger entity, entity, you know, you can find yourself wanting to experiment, try other things, and that can distract you from finishing a long-term series, you know, so I, I can certainly appreciate that. Um, but there's been this massive vacuum left that even the celebrated Witcher 3 doesn't remotely fill, you know? I mean, where is the go-anywhere-be-anyone fantasy RPG since Skyrim, you know? Um, Fallout at least has one imitator in the Outer Worlds, but there just hasn't... There's been a big vacuum left by Bethesda open-world RPGs and when it comes to Skyrim, and, or excuse me, Elder Scrolls in particular. Likewise, Wolfenstein Youngblood just wasn't a true Wolfenstein game. It wasn't really produced by the same... It wasn't developed by the same team. Um, I'm really wanting them to win back my trust and excitement about one of their properties, and I would love for one of those to be Wolfenstein 3, to get a big reveal, um, or at least a story teaser or something, and an indication that it's coming out in 2020. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um... All right, well, let's get to my jaded predictions and get those out of the way. Bethesda, I believe, in my jaded cold heart, will be radio silent on their end 
um, in games event coverage until the end of June. I think QuakeCon, is that usually later in the summer? I can't remember when it is. I think it's usually later in the summer. So I think that if we get some kind of a blowout from them, it's probably going to be around when that normally would have been. If I'm not mistaken, QuakeCon was canceled this year because of the coronavirus. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to you know, prioritize filling that gap rather than filling the E3 gap and like kind of doing some kind of a Bethesda digital event when their fans would normally have been anticipating QuakeCon, you know. So I think that they're going to be radio silent on their end in games event coverage until the end of June. Doesn't mean people won't talk about them. I just mean from their end, they're not going to be announcing anything. That's what my cold heart says. Uh, My second jaded prediction is that they will promote something, but they're going to further slide away from anything interesting to me going into further experimental areas that their fans are not the most excited about, like, of course, Fallout 76, giving me no reason to hope for a Bethesda RPG or Wolfenstein 3 between now and the next E3. Uh, My third jaded prediction is that we will see more time in interview coverage given to Fallout 76 than any game that they talk about of potential interest to me. Uh, My final jaded prediction for Bethesda is that they will spend time talking up the Elder Scrolls online, even trying to sell it as a solo experience because they know that Elder Scrolls 6 is way, way far off and so they want to try and placate fans in the meantime. Maybe they're going to put out some expansions that will try to cater to solo players more, or maybe they'll just try to talk up and from from a PR angle, you know, try to convince me (laughs) that uh, Elder Scrolls is, you know, Elder Scrolls Online is the game for me um while starfield and elder scrolls 6 if mentioned by them will have projected release dates no earlier than 2022 and 2025 all right so let's get now that icky stuff is out of the way let's get into my wishes um Hey, I would love, as my first wish, for them to announce that private servers for Fallout 76 are going to become free in the near future. So it's going to, in other words, be a game that's kind of like uh, Conan Exiles, where you can play offline and kind of use your own console as your own private server just to dink around in your own empty world uh you know that has no other players in it where you can manipulate the rules of that world and stuff i basically want the the kind of the conan exiles treatment given to fallout 76 and for them to represent it in that way uh and also of course uh for someone like me i want them to remove the playstation plus requirement for solo play Uh, I am not interested at all in having a uh, PlayStation Plus subscription or playing online. I realize this is, as I said at the beginning, this is an unrealistic expectation, but these are my wishes. This is my segment. You're welcome to make your own that has much more reasonable wishes, but that's what I want. Um, My second wish is, uh, and this has been on my annual E3 wish list since 2015, assuming I cannot have Elder Scrolls 6, which I think is a... I can be very confident in that assumption. Um, My wish is to get a 2021 or earlier release date for what I call Skyrim New Vegas. Uh, As many of you know... That Fallout New Vegas was uh, you was a game that was made in the Fallout 3 engine, but it was made by an external studio that they hired to basically work on that game while their main uh, Bethesda uh, game studios worked on, you know, Skyrim, I think it was, or whatever they had next at the time. Uh, and I would love to hear news that they have covertly done this. It's not going to be with Obsidian, unfortunately, because
because they're doing their own thing now and they've moved on to other stuff. But I would love to hear that they've covertly hired another studio, given them the Skyrim engine, and we just get another game in, yes, the very dated now Skyrim engine. But it's a new campaign. It's a new continent. Um, well, maybe not a new continent. We dare not hope for that. But maybe... It, you know what, put it in Skyrim, put it in Skyrim again, you know, and just repopulate dungeons and change some things up. I would totally, totally play that. I would pay $60 for that experience. Um, so I don't think we're going to get that, but uh, yeah, that that would be that would be great. That would really help tide me and I think a lot of other gamers over. Uh, my final wish for Bethesda is that, yeah, we'll get a Wolfenstein 3 announcement with a, a story teaser trailer. I think it may not be realistic to ask for a gameplay trailer, but hey, you know what? I'll ask for that too while I'm at it. These are all unrealistic wishes anyway. So yeah, Wolfenstein 3 announcement with at least a story teaser trailer and a gameplay trailer as well would be awesome with a 2020 release date. Oh, come on, come on. All right, uh, Ubisoft. Uh, now, I'm a big fan of Ubisoft games these days. Uh, the Far Cry series and Ghost Recon Wildlands um, are some of my favorite games of, of all time. I also really like the recent Assassin's Creed games, Origins and uh, Odyssey. Uh, really great experiences for me. Assassin's Creed Valhalla just revealed this morning as I record this with a cinematic trailer. Uh, it's coming out holiday 2020 for both new consoles that are coming out then and also the current generation of consoles. It looks like thematically it's going to have a, you know, seems like a return to an emphasis on corrupted Christianity uh, versus a possibly historically revisionist, falsely favorable, favorable version of a Viking culture. I don't know. It's, I, I don't want to judge too harshly because I, I did watch the developer commentary for the trailer, which I recommend you check out if you want more information. I found it pretty informative. And the time period is set after the height of the raids during uh, a time of peaceful Viking integration into England when Vikings were really trying to peacefully integrate and just uh, make a, a, a homestead for themselves that was not based on raiding, but was based on farming, you know. Uh, and so I think there's going to be room for more complexity in the Vikings there. So I think it's a good move to, uh, if they want us to like the Vikings at all, to place it sometime after the time that they were just raiding, you know. Um, hopefully we'll get something that's uh, complex in the way that the Vikings TV show and, and what I've seen has been uh, has been complex, you know, that certainly there was corrupt Christianity represented in that in that story, in that series a lot, but there were also Christians that were worth admiring, um, that, uh, that were standing, you know, with some conflict in them next to corrupted Christians, you know, uh, but so, but representing a pure version of Christianity somewhere in there, Ubisoft, <laughs> you know, would be nice. Um, and then, you know, uh, having Viking characters that are like the TV series, worth having compassion for. You know, I really began to develop affection and compassion for a number of those Viking characters, even as I saw their worldview and how self-destructive it was to them and to others around them, you know, as just a broken uh, worldview, you know, uh, and, and tragic in what it was doing to them and what they, you know, did as a result of embracing, you know, that, that broken worldview of, polytheism and sac weird, you know, sacrifices and stuff that were very selfishly oriented, you know, and so, um, yeah, so I, I would love to see, um, the kind of 
philosophical complexity of the Vikings TV show, which I think they're clearly going to be taking some inspiration from. I'd like to see that kind of moral complexity and moral treatment in uh, this this game, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, it was great to see this trailer early. It suggests to me that a full gameplay reveal is coming, probably sometime in the month of June during UNE3. We'll see what happens. Uh, I have two jaded predictions for Ubisoft. The first, they do have some other games coming uh, out that are worth mentioning. Um, Watch Dogs 3, you know, was a, their big game at uh, E3 last year. I think that we're going to get some gameplay of it. Uh, and my cold heart of hearts says that they're going to specifically show us timed puzzles, <laughs> which was my least favorite part and why I didn't finish Watch Dogs 2. And uh, that wasn't a part of their presentation for Watch Dogs 3 last year, but my cold heart says to me, oh yes, they're going to just trumpet how great their timed puzzles are for Watch Dogs 3. <laughs> and my second jaded prediction, my only other one, uh, is that regarding Beyond Good and Evil 2, we will once again get either nothing, as we got last year, or we'll get another CG trailer <laughs> and more talking animals instead of the gameplay that I really, really would like to see to show me if I could maybe like this game despite its talking animals. Now let's get on to my wishes. Um, I want a uh, 2020 release date for Watch Dogs 3 and more gameplay systems revealed that I will really find exciting and appealing. My next wish is that Gods and Monsters will get a full reveal. We just got a teaser trailer last year and a February release date, which has been postponed. Uh, let's get a, uh, a, a new 2020 release date. Um, and I'd like to discover that they redid the textures a little bit and it looks slightly less cartoony. I know that a full overhaul is unreasonable to ask for, but I think that maybe we could get some redone textures that maybe just ground it a little bit more instead of it make, making it look so cartoony, so Breath of the Wild, you know. Um, and I'd also like to see in the gameplay just fantasy cut loose because i really want to see ubisoft make an open world fantasy game you know without and out like spells and magic and stuff uh and then uh, my next wish would be that we get an announcement that ghost recon breakpoint has the promised ai squad mates now it's just like hey it's available right now i think that's something that could surprise and you know drop on us anytime any day now and uh, i would love for that to be a thing uh in june and then my next wish for them is that we'll get the full reveal for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, including gameplay, you know, systems. And this is asking a bit much, but for this game, full-on magic. You know, I mean, uh, they they started with with some of the special abilities that they had in the last two Assassin's Creed games. It's almost like magic. It's kind of like a light, you know, visually grounded kind of magic type stuff and uh i want them to just cut loose i want them to cut loose with magic in this series i know it's known for being like this historical based series you know but they take so many liber liberties with the uh, history uh let's get some of those lasts or first civilization artifacts incorporated into the gameplay so that the uh the assassins the main protagonists can actually be doing some crazy magic looking type stuff uh man I i'd really love to see that from ubisoft and uh, let's see here. My next wish for them is, this is a uh, far-fetched, but all of my wishes kind of tend to be, is a Far Cry tease. Far Cry, what's next? Six? Far Cry six. Uh, some kind of tease. I think it would be pretty crowded if we got a full reveal for it and, you know, a release in the fall or something like that. But I think it's possible that we would get a 2021 release date for the next Far Cry game. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know. <laughs> and my final wish, and this has been on my wish list since 2017, is that Ubisoft will announce or tease a new open world franchise based on the Terminator. Uh, last year, I think that they made a move that could open the door by having a Terminator event revealed for Ghost Recon Breakpoint, and that event was carried out, and I want to say December or early 2020, I can't remember, um, because I wasn't, uh, I wasn't ready to take it on in my gameplay. Uh, so maybe they've, you know, had some good interactions with the IP holders enough to maybe start enough business with them and present this idea. This, I'm no, I know this is a big pie in the sky thinking, but maybe we could at least get an announcement that hey, this is coming from Ubisoft at some point in the future. You know, that'd be fun to to hear about. I, I think that the the Terminator franchise, you know, is just ripe for the kind of open-world gameplay that Ubisoft does, especially if you're playing as the Terminator set loose in a city, telling people to get out of their vehicles as you drive around uh, assassinating, you know, particular targets that that have some relevance in the future. You know, I mean, it just... Ugh, it just... Uh, it's ripe. It's ripe. It's ready. Let's do it, Ubisoft. <laughs> Square Enix. Um, all right, well... Last year, they did some things in their presentation at E3 that really made me feel like, wow, I think I like Square Enix again. But in the end, my experience of Square Enix since then, this year, uh, just wasn't really exciting me at all. Final Fantasy VII just turned out to not be for me. I am not at all hyped for Avengers, largely because we've seen far too little of it. Uh, Dragon Quest Builders 2 and Dragon Quest 11, while I bought them both and enjoyed both of them for a time, they just haven't hooked me like the games before them in their respective series. Uh, and so I'm really not anticipating anything that I might hear from Square Enix this year. I'd be really surprised if they revealed anything that got me even interested. So my one jaded pr prediction is that they're not going to reveal anything that's remotely interesting to me. And uh, if they do give us more of Avengers, it's going to be revealed to be a very online-y kind of game that's mostly meant to be played on uh, uh, online with other people as kind of a games-as-service type thing with uh, efforts at lip service to try to convince people that they can also play it solo if they want to. <laughs> um, my first wish is that we'll get a new Tokyo RPG Factory game. Because, you know, maybe third time's the charm. We got I Am Setsuna and Lost Sphere. Uh, neither one of those were really the thing for me. Um, so we'll get a third one from them or some other cool PS4 news related to a classic Square RPG that might interest me a bit. I, I don't know what that would be, but I feel like that's the area where they're most likely to get my interest. And then finally, uh, my last wish is that we get an Avengers game deep dive uh, with a revealed minimizing of those game-as-service elements and those online-y elements with uh, solo play genuinely and convincingly in mind as we see more and more uh, about what that game is. Uh, the PC Gaming Show is reportedly going to be on June 6th, 2020. They are going to do an event. I imagine it'll be more of a digital thing rather than having a live audience, but we'll see different restrictions, you know, uh, in the the U.S. are, you know, reportedly going to be lifted uh, in, uh, in the next, you know, month or so. We'll see. Uh, I'm not really a PC gamer at all, except for a few experiences that are not found on consoles that my PC can still run. Um, but this show over the years has become increasingly console player relevant. Uh, they they announced a lot of things last year that uh, were coming to 
consoles as well. And even in the show, when, which they were doing live, they were encouraging people to leave comments and questions and stuff like that, no matter what platform they're on. And I assumed that included not just like Epic and Steam uh, or GOG, but also, you know, console players as well. It just seemed to have a lot more games with crossover appeal to console players, which is why I continue to tune into it uh, every year, uh, just out of my own personal interest, in addition to kind of doing content. Um, my first jaded prediction, actually my only jaded prediction, is that the hosting style for whatever it is they produce will be overly energetic for my tastes, as it has been for a number of years now. Um, my first wish is that they will cover single-player games of interest to me that will also be coming to console, um, and that, you know, they're not, there's not an emphasis on early access, uh, as well as PC-exclusive games with low system requirements that my PC will run. Uh, they've usually been good for this uh, over the last couple of years, and so I'm hoping that that will be true again. I think that's a, a pretty realistic expectation, actually. Uh, and my only other wish is that Indications will be revealed that the gap is getting ever smaller between PC and console gaming, and I think a great start would be normalizing um, gamepad UIs in PC games so that it becomes more and more common for it to be standard for PC games, even those that normally use a lot of keyboard and mouse to, to control them, to come standard with a gamepad UI. I know that's asking a lot, but as so many of these games are being eventually ported to console, I think it's within the realm of possibility that developers will start just building that into their cost from the get-go. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it would be really neat to see that happen. Um, I don't have anything against PC gaming per se, but I just spend a lot of time at the mouse and keyboard in that position all day. And so when I'm done playing, you know, when I'm done working and I want to play in my evenings, I want to sit back and slouch with a gamepad uh, and not be, be in the mouse and keyboard position. And I also don't like messing with drivers and blah, 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 technical stuff. Um, Nintendo. Now, I haven't bought a Nintendo home console since the Super Nintendo, uh, except to get a Wii for our two boys. Um, and my oldest son saved up, bought himself a Switch, and so that's the closest I've come to, you know, having any proximity to Nintendo consoles for a long, long time. Uh, you know, the cute, family-friendly aesthetic of first-party Nintendo games, which is what really drives the sale of their consoles, are just not my thing, you know? Um, and neither is the fall-and-die gameplay of Mario. Um, my first jaded prediction is that their Direct, which I assume they're going to have sometime in June, is largely going to focus on one or more cute Nintendo intellectual properties that don't interest me at all. My second jaded prediction is that they're just going to keep doing Nintendo in every way, um, in ways that, uh, you know, don't have customers or consumers as in mind as much as they could that seem kind of like tone deaf in terms of what uh, customers have come to want and expect given what other console manufacturers and platforms are offering um, so i think they're just going to kind of keep doing their ears plugged you know, <laughs> running forward nintendo thing <laughs> um, and uh, my third and final jaded prediction for nintendo is that there will be no exciting non-Nintendo IPs coming to Switch. Uh, just kind of like the great games of five-plus years ago. Uh, I think that as we move forward, the technology gap between the Switch and the newer consoles is just going to be keep is keep getting is going to keep getting wider and wider and wider, uh, and so I think that's actually a pretty realistic jaded prediction. My first wish 
is that they will change their plans for legacy games. Right now, they're, they got some kind of subscription service going on that will give you access to a ever-rotating roster of uh, classic NES, SNES, you know, their, their classic console games. But I just want to be able to buy them outright. You know, that would, come, that would get me so much closer to wanting to save up to buy a Switch. Um, I would love for them to uh, make available all past-generation Nintendo console games on the Switch eShop. I think that would be really cool. That would, uh, man, if I think about it, that, that might even make it not an insta-buy for me, but like an insta-save. Like, okay, I'm going to start saving now, you know? Uh, because there are some games that I would love to get, particularly the uh, Game Boy Advance and Nintendo DS Castlevania games, you know? <sighs> that series alone would really get me to think about buying a Switch. And then my final wish is that Doug Bowser, the new kind of head honcho of Nintendo of America. Uh, you know, we, we haven't seen a ton of him, I don't think. I haven't watched every Direct that they've put out in the last year, but uh, he hasn't been as much of a personality, I guess, as Reggie fils was before him. And so I'd love for him, with whatever they do this June, to just make a great impression with fans and uh, and present some updated thinking when it comes to how Nintendo does business and how they think about their fans, you know, um, and how they protect their intellectual properties uh, and provide services to fans, you know. Um, just bring a freshness that shows an interest in attracting more than just kids and those who already love Nintendo uh, and their existing properties to the Nintendo consoles, you know. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to see them just kind of broaden their appeal a little bit. But we'll see. You know, they're doing their thing, and they're finding it to be very successful for them. So, you know, I'm not saying that they should do anything particularly. These are just my unrealistic wishes. All right. Sony, the last publisher I'm going to talk about. Um, my, I'm, I'm, I've been playing on PlayStation 4. I've been, you know, uh, on that... Uh, console and really enjoying it. It's probably my favorite console of all time. When I think about all the games that I've played on it and enjoyed on it, I think it might be now my favorite console of all time. Um, I uh, am looking forward to the PlayStation 5, but I have hesitations, you know, about what it's going to be. They've revealed a lot less than Microsoft has, and what they've revealed hasn't been super exciting <laughs> or really competitive with what Microsoft has revealed so far. So my first jaded prediction is that we are going to get uh, a reveal of the new console sometime in June, and it's going to have a price of no less than $599. Uh, that's my jaded prediction. Um, I think that that's a little bit unrealistic. I think they're going to want to avoid that number like the plague because of its association with the launch of the uh, PS3. Um, but that's my jaded prediction. My only other jaded prediction is that Sony is going to continue to be less attractive than Xbox regarding what they reveal before the end of June. Um, either through abstaining... Uh, to reveal things or by falling short by comparison to Xbox in what they do reveal, I predict they're generally going to come across to consumers and commentators as struggling to hide their shortcomings in comparison to Microsoft in what they offer. Or worse yet, they'll come across as taking their customers for granted and will come across as kind of prideful uh, in the way that they did uh, leading up to the PlayStation 3 launch. I uh, really hope that's not the case, but that is my jaded prediction. Now getting on to my wishes, trying to be hopeful and positive about what might happen. I would love to get a PlayStation 5 full reveal with a price of $549 or less. That'd be amazing to get a $499 uh, US dollar uh, PS5, but uh, we'll see what happens there. My second wish is that they'll capitalize, finally, 
on their generational library. They really have a legacy when you think about it of PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PSP, Vita. You know, it would be great to learn that even though they've talked only in a limited fashion about the backwards compatibility for PlayStation 4 games on PlayStation 5, that they surprise us, that they shock us, that it has full compatibility with every other generation prior to that because of emulation that they put on the console, you know. Um, you know, I, I think that it would be great. I, I, I've for years had on my wish list for Sony PlayStation 2 disc-based backwards compatibility because there are games that are just that I love from the PlayStation 2 that are just not popular enough that anybody's going to bother with doing a remaster or a port uh, to new consoles. Um, so I need something that's going to just read the disc and just make that work, you know. Uh, likewise, there are licensed games like Justice League Heroes, one of my favorite games of PlayStation 2, and licensed games tend to be more difficult to get remasters done because of issues with who owns the license and renegotiating the license and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I would at least like the PlayStation 5 to have PlayStation TV functionality. And what I mean by that is the failed PlayStation TV, which I bought when it was uh, uh, heading out of production and really cheap, is actually a cool little device, and they're really expensive now to try and get them. But uh, uh, it it basically played all games that were available on the PlayStation Vita, uh, with few with a few exceptions. And so what that meant was all the PlayStation One classics that were available to play on the the PSP or Vita could be played on the PlayStation TV. So could Vita games, PSP games, some PlayStation Two games that they made available on that service. And you just can't play like any of those. Uh, just naturally on a PlayStation 4. And that's always kind of like, why? Why? I mean, it certainly has the power to run all of those uh, games. So why are you not making that available? You know, it probably, you know, would require them to actually put a little PSTV inside, you know, and, you know, provide a hardware solution for that. There's been speculation with the Mark Cerny, you know, reveal that went up where he talked about the technical specs about a month ago now, um, that in the PowerPoint presentation, there was a gap missing where they could have talked about backwards compatibility for uh, generations prior to PlayStation 4, and it just seemed like maybe it was something that was removed at the last minute from the presentation because there was a big hole in the visual design of their slide. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but I would love to find out that really the PlayStation 5 is designed with a ton of generational backwards compatibility in mind. Um, and then my final wish for Sony um, is that there would be at least one big Interesting to me, anyway, title announcement that's exclusively for PlayStation 5 or, and, and PlayStation 4. Um, and that there would be one also revealed that is only for PlayStation 5. Uh, that makes it clear and obvious that, like, you know, upgrading your hardware is going to be worth it. Here's something that can only happen on the PlayStation 5, and it's something that's really, really cool that you're going to want. You know, I just want a, a reason. Give me a reason to really start in earnest saving up for a PlayStation 5, and I just doubt with all the games I'm enjoying and all the ones in my backlog still on PlayStation 4, I just doubt they're going to give me a reason to uh, to really uh, want to get a PlayStation 5 near to launch, you know. But I would love to get a reveal of some game that makes me say, there it is. That's my reason to really start saving in earnest. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. But that would be great. All right, now just some general... Uh 
games that I would love to hear announcements about that aren't necessarily from one of the big publishers. Uh, I would love to get a reveal and an announcement for the new Bioshock game that is reportedly in development, a Bioshock 4 or Bioshock Infinite 2 or whatever the crap they want to call it, you know, uh, and get a story trailer reveal so we can at least see the, what the setting is going to be. That, that I think, would be a lot, uh, very interesting to me and to a lot of Bioshock fans. That's been on my wish list since 2015, so come on, man. This would be a great year to do that. Um, Singularity 2, also on my wish list since 2015. Back in 2015, I believe it was, uh, the developers of Singularity 2 tweeted mysteriously going back to Katorga 12, which is the island that the first game takes place on. There has been no word since. Maybe that was something that, maybe that was going to be a remaster. Maybe they were going to start working on a sequel and that has since been canceled and abandoned. I don't know. But I would love to discover that something has actually been stewing in the works and is now ready to be revealed. That'd be awesome. Uh, I'd love a single-player Justice League slash DC Universe action RPG. This is another one that's been on my list since 2015. Specifically, an open-world or open-city-style game in, like, the Saints Row engine. If you look at Saints Row 4, that game has a great engine for superhero action in a big open city. I think it'd be great to see something like that. Not DC Universe Online, but something designed primarily for a single-player experience. I feel like the stories that are crafted, the animations that are crafted for the, the Injustice uh, Gods Among Us series of fighting games feels a little bit wasted <laughs> on a fighting game. It's just like, oh man, I want, I want that in a big uh, game that gives itself much more to a story type of experience. So get those writers, art designers, and voice actors on a DCU open-world action RPG. Um, my next wish is that Cyberpunk 2077 would be revealed to have an easy mode. <laughs> I don't think that's unrealistic. I think that's a possibility. But like a truly easy mode, do they really know what I need for an easy mode i have my doubts and an option to turn off nudity this is a long shot i know uh a designer on the project when um a the the content warnings for the game were recently released i think they were the ones that were from brazil or something i don't know which country leaked those uh content description warnings you know which included violence and nudity and all this kind of stuff uh the a developer or designer on the project tweeted in response you surprised? We don't F around. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you're cool and edgy. Your game is cool and edgy, whatever. Do we have to objectify people in order to be cool and edgy? You know, um, or, you know, maybe I'm mistaken. You know, you might say, well, Pater, nudity isn't necessarily objectifying people. Well, typically it is. I mean, when's the last time that you, in, in, a, in typical nudity in movies or any entertainment, you saw a, a character model or, or an actor or whatever that was flabby and typical and not intentionally designed or presented to be sexually appealing you know um frankly i would like any game that mentions an ability to turn off uh potentially objectionable content you know uh violence language nudity violence and language you know i don't personally have concerns with those issues but uh, i think being able to to toggle on and off all of those things in games would be a welcome feature that would likely expand the audience of any game that offered that feature. You could even sell it as DLC if you want, you know? I mean, you look at a service like VidAngel, and that seems to be uh, really finding significant success. There's a significant part of the world that wants that kind of choice in their entertainment. And so I would love to see either Cyberpunk 2077 or, frankly, any video game uh, explore and talk about that they're exploring that kind of option, even if they want people to buy it as DLC. 
people will buy it. People, I'm convinced, will pay for that kind of feature as it uh, shows up in games. Um, my next wish is more info about Atomic Heart. This was a game that was revealed in, I think, 2018, and there was no word about it at last year's E3. Uh, I'd love to get more info and a 2020 release date. It looks very cool and Bioshocky. Uh, I'm very, very curious about it. Um, my next wish whew, is a uh, Two Worlds 3 tease and uh or, or reveal of some kind uh i think it's been confirmed confirmed by the developer that it's still in development and uh, they're projecting a 2022 release date um so anyway i'd love to get anything more about two worlds three uh or some other open world fantasy rpg where you can play as a dedicated magic user i mean that's more rare than you would think outside of i mean like capcom's dragon's dogma and kingdoms of amalur reckoning but those were years ago skyrim even further back than that you know witcher 3 you know a big well-crafted open world fantasy game but not one where you can really play a mage you're playing Geralt of Rivia you're playing that dude and you can change what you emphasize but you can't really be a full-on mage person or a full-on rogue that's about stealing and sneaking you know um so I would love that big open world massive fantasy RPG that's you know Skyrim Skyrim has left a vacuum for in uh, in its absence since being released uh, and that Bethesda is apparently not going to be filling anytime soon um, so I want someone to swoop in with something that looks really promising releasing in 2020 or the first half of 2021 that'd be very cool and my final wish for games in general is uh, all of those symphony like Castlevania games as I call them because Metroidvania is not near descriptive enough I want the uh, RPG elements the level grinding the loot grinding elements of those classic uh side-scrolling um metroidvania uh castlevania games so all the games that followed symphony of the night in that style which i call symphony likes um that were on game boy advance and nintendo ds i want them released as part of a collection on playstation 4 uh i think that would be great i think that'd be great we'll see what happens all right, well, let's finish off with some rapid-fire wishes for the whole uh, of Un-E3 in general, followed by some... Uh, well, no, let's see. No, I already talked about the game. So just some general wishes. First, short wait times for un for announced games. I prefer six months or less. If it's going to be longer, uh, then, you know, if it's going to take... If it's going to be released, you know, six months after next E3, then don't talk about it until next E3. Um, no CG trailers without gameplay right on its heels is definitely my preference. I'm just not really interested. I just don't buy into hype these days uh, for almost any game unless I see gameplay of it first or know from its pedigree what kind of gameplay it's going to involve. Uh, my third general wish would be to have a celebration of gaming. That's one of the funnest things about this time of year, but without over-attributing value to gaming. Uh, I think in some, I've been hearing from some game companies and publishers and stuff talking about how in this time of quarantine that video games can be really helpful to help us deal with stresses of life or help us to connect with others and I don't want to discount those things but I don't I also don't want to over lean on those things uh, especially when it comes to escape I think that video games um, should not be viewed as a primary means of escaping the things that are troubling us in life I think that we need to deal with those either with professional counselors and or with just taking those to Jesus and wrestling through and just crying out to him and seeing what we can see in, in his word that's going to be helpful and, and restorative to us you know so uh, I think that there are a lot 
more important things and, and helpful things to do before uh, we go to games, you know, as, as some kind of way to fix or escape uh, our problems. Um, I would love to just see entertainment that takes advantage of these unique circumstances. You know, uh, we are not going to see any stage shows, really, unless they're on a stage with like zero people in the audience. You know, I can't imagine that we'll we'll see that happen in June. Um, But I think that there are some unique things that could potentially be done. Very Nintendo Direct type things, you know. I don't know what. I don't know what exactly. But it would just be neat to see people not just struggle to kind of like, well, this is the best we can do. But to actually think, okay... What? How can we play to the strengths of this situation that we find ourselves in to pre- present things that are really fun and engaging for consumers? So that would be really cool to see happen. Um, I would love to see, you know, kind of in the same vein, consumer demos, okay? we can, There's not an E3 or a big public event we can all go to, and I realize that the demos that they would put out in the wild for consumers are not going to be the same that they would put... Uh, on the show floor of of an E3 type thing. Um, Those things tend to be more broken and stuff. They allow for that because they've got developers there that can say, okay, just understand, you know, there are some bugs and stuff like that, you know. But... I think that consumers are more and more savvy to the fact, and you can put a warning up there, say, hey, there's going to be bugs, there's going to be stuff, you know, so I think that we're maybe reaching a halfway point where they can put out kind of these demos or these really early alpha builds of things for consumers to try, and consumers are getting smarter and more informed uh, to be understanding of those kinds of things. So I would love to see uh, demos or alpha builds or something that are temporarily available to consumers during this period of un-E3. Um... I'd love for people to show or at least tell what next-gen consoles will do with gameplay. Not graphics, don't really care about that, but like show me what's possible in terms of how you can flesh out the activity that's simulated in a in an open world game. The specific and detailed richness of people's behavior patterns and stuff or how they react to you and keep track of your choices and stuff. Uh, I would love to see that kind of stuff be revealed in games uh, as coming up because of what's, what the next generation consoles can give us. Um, a concept I've uh, trumpeted for a few years is what I call failure adaptivity where the world changes and reacts to my failure rather than the game just saying you failed to do what we wanted you to do so we're going to send you back in time again until you can do it the way we want you to do it I'm like no just let the world change and react to my failure instead of making it a fail state that ends the game and causes me to go back to my last save you know so that kind of stuff is what I really want to start hearing about as we're hearing more about the consoles we've heard about specs we will be hearing about specs uh, probably a little bit more but now that we got that crap out of the way show us more or tell us more specifically what you have planned in specific games that's only going to be possible on the new consoles that would be really cool um I want to hear a bunch of indie stuff, a bunch of pater enticing game-filled events from, say, Limited Run Games, Kind of Funny Games Showcase, which I believe they've confirmed they're going to do, uh, you know, some kind of showcase for uh, an E3, as I'm calling it. Uh, Devolver Digital, be interesting to see if they do an event this year or if they're going to skip it, see what how, how tactful they're going to be. Their, their humor can be kind of edgy, uh, and right now might not be the right time for a Devolver Digital edgy humor kind of a digital showcase, but we'll see. Maybe they'll just hit the perfect balance and present something that's going to be really welcome during this time of uh, quarantine and uncertainty, you know? So, uh, but anyway, whatever is revealed or however it gets out there, I want to see a bunch of cool indie stuff within 
increased focus on console releases instead of early access announcements. Those aren't really relevant to me because I'm not primarily a PC gamer. Um, and so, and even if they were available on consoles, I just kind of want to know when a game is coming out that's going to be like ready, you know, <laughs> ready uh, to give money to in a, you know, well, I guess early access involves exchanging money sometimes too. But anyway, I think you know what I mean. I just tell me when it's done and ready for me to buy on console. When you're ready to say this is finished and ready for public consumption, you know, um, that's what I want to hear about. And, uh, THQ Nordic. Oh my gosh. Okay. These guys have been buying up game properties, buying up studios for years, right and left since 2016. And I'm thinking this year, of all years would be a time for them to boom, just make a huge crater in the ground um, where E3 once was and just announce a whole bunch of stuff that's coming. Kingdoms of Amalur 2, two. I mean, they, they, they have it. They have the rights to make another game in the series. Um, I would love to hear that uh, they, they've got another one in the works. Saints Row, I mean, that's, uh, that's all but confirmed that they are working, or maybe it is confirmed that they're working on a new Saints Row game. I would love to see something of that, especially gameplay would be great. Hear about what's going to differentiate it in setting or gameplay from the games of the past. It really kind of like went off the rails and arguably jumped the shark with Saints Row 4. How do you continue from that point without doing an Agents of Mayhem, which I think just went further afield and uh, jumped, you know, six or seven mutated sharks at that point. Um, how, you know, how do you move forward from Saints Row 4, or how do you dial it way back and kind of do a reboot? Maybe start it from a more grounded place again? I don't know, but I would be really interested to see what they decide to do. Uh, and then, of course, some kind of open-world fantasy RPG. Come on, come on. Um, and then finally... Uh, something appealing to me, anything that appeals to me that's available now. I mentioned the, the Ghost Recon Breakpoint thing, you know, um, but really anything. I, you know, and I think especially now when all of this stuff is being made for people who are at home, um, I think more stuff that can cater to them and say, hey, this is available now, whether that's a cool demo or a new game or a new bit of DLC or something like that. I would love to see a bunch more of that stuff happening that just kind of gets people buzzed and in particular gives me a reason to be excited about buying or downloading downloading something. So, um, so yeah, those are all my jaded predictions and wishes. I always, around this time of year, really try to keep my expectations in check. You know, games get canceled. Games uh, end up not being released, or they end up being really disappointing, despite how great they look and how confident I feel that they're going to be something I'll enjoy. You know, they very often will end up falling far short of that, you know, and I think that, um, that E3 or un-E3 can be enjoyed and celebrated, uh, as a, as a representation of what developers are aiming for. Even if without buying into the hype, we can say, that's cool that they're aiming for that. And I think that's a more healthy way to enjoy this kind of uh, season, this kind of experience. We don't want to set our hopes, though, for happiness or fulfillment on how these games actually turn out. That's going to set us up for anger. That's going to set us up for frustration. That's going to set us up for just a wrong prioritization of things that's unhealthy for us in life. Um, so I think that some good verses that have been good for me uh, each year to kind of come back to uh, include 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 in the ESV that reads, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away 
along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Ecclesiastes 1, 8 through 11 says, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new! It has been already in ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So today's new hotness is just destined to be tomorrow's been there, done that, leaving us looking for the next fix. And I think that's important to remember, you know, the things we enjoy are all going to fade. But God, by contrast, does not change, and he's the ultimate source of all enjoyment. He's, he created creativity uh, in human beings, modeled after his own uh, a person in the, and persons, maybe I should say more specifically and accurately. Uh, you know, uh, so we have him to thank for every good thing. James 1, 17 in the ESV says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Contrasted with all the things that he gives, he himself uh, does not vary or fade. Um, Psalm 1611 in the ESV says, You make known to me the path of life. The psalmist is talking to God now. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So when we are in the presence of God uh, in eternity, we will know enjoyment and pleasure and excitement and fulfillment that will not fade, that will not get old. Um, so anyway, I think those are things to consider to help keep things in perspective instead of setting our, our hope and our hype, uh, which sometimes we can really confuse the two, can't we? Um, on uh, things like video games, even though we would never want to say, because we all recognize, okay, well, it's silly. No, I don't want I'm not putting my hope in things. Well, sometimes if we examine ourselves, we can find ourselves falling into that. And so I think that it's uh, worthwhile to kind of just uh, um, refresh our perspective a little bit. That's all I've got for now. Stay tuned. I will, I am planning to post content reacting to all kinds of video game news as it happens now through the end of June. I hope that you'll be coming back for that. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POSTOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Scanning for Christian Geeks. Subject located. Verifying status. Christian Geek status verified. Begin data transmission. This is the Christian Geek News Radar, where I shine a spotlight on some cool stuff that may be of particular interest to Christian geeks. Haven't done one of these in a little while. Um, it's uh, It's been just a lot of... Uh, 
COVID this and Corona that in the news. And so I waited a little bit longer than usual to kind of let some uh, news highlights build up a little bit. Of course, there's been news, uh, you know, on and off for the last, you know, eight plus weeks. Uh, and you can track a lot more of that by following us on Twitter at Christian underscore geek. There's just a ton of little stories, time sensitive stuff that wouldn't make sense to put in a monthly installment like this uh, that you can stay connected to and be in the know about uh, by following us again on Twitter at Christian underscore geek. But let me give you some highlights from the last couple of months. Uh, first off, I just want to mention that I'm having a free download weekend for the second part of our Spirit Blade trilogy, Spirit Blade Dark Ritual. The Legacy Edition is going to be available to download for free the weekend of May 8th through the 10th. So on May 8th through the 10th, you can go to spiritblade.com, download that, and it's yours forever. Uh, And of course, the first part of that trilogy in the Legacy Edition, Spirit Blade Legacy Edition, is always free over at spiritblade.com. So a great opportunity to check that out. I'm also going to be having a sale uh, on uh, on our store in... It's somewhere, I can't remember when the date's going to be, but uh, not too long from now. So this would be a great opportunity to get the first two parts of the trilogy for free and then be able to count on getting the third part at a discount not too long from now. So anyway, be sure you mark your calendar May 8th through the 10th, spiritblade.com, to take advantage of uh, that free download for Spiritblade Dark Ritual Legacy Edition. Okay, so Cyan is a video game company that you may or may not be familiar with, but they have been busy. My gosh, these are the guys that created Myst back in the day, and although they're not creating content that's specifically aimed at Christians, they are themselves Christians, and uh, uh, from what I understand, some of that even leaks into the original Myst game, although I haven't played through that one myself. Uh, But Deadline.com, just for starters in the news about Cyan, uh, has uh, put up a story called Village Roadshow Taps X-Men First Class Director Ashley Edward Miller to adapt video game Myst for television. This isn't the first time that news has broken, but there's some details that have now uh, surfaced. Uh, They write, The television adaptation of classic video game Myst has moved forward a level after X-Men First Class writer Ashley Edward Miller signed on to the Village Roadshow Entertainment Group project. Miller, who has also written and produced series including Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, Black Sails, and Lore, will write the pilot and showrun the adaptation. Myst, which was first released in 1993, is a first-person graphic adventure video game created by brothers Rand and Robin Miller and their company Cyan. Village Roadshow will develop and produce alongside the original co-creator Rand Miller and his youngest brother Ryan Miller, as well as Isaac Testerman and Yale Rice at Delve Media. So for the rest of that story, you can go to Deadline.com to uh, read the rest of that article. But uh, I thought that was really interesting news. Um, Also... Cyan's game Abduction, which has been available on PC and PlayStation 4 for a little while now, has uh, come now to uh, Xbox. And uh, the description for it reads, A new sci-fi adventure from, from Cyan, the creators of Myst. Abducted for far across the universe, you find yourself on a broken alien landscape with odd pieces of Earth. Explore, uncover, solve, and find a way to make it home. So if you've not uh, played uh, this kind of game in a while, and you remember playing Myst or Riven, the sequel to Myst, you know, back in the day, uh, they've really been updating the formula with uh, the, as the technology has advanced. They have been advancing their game making as well so uh you can now get abduction on uh, xbox one let's see here oh yeah and finally 
in news related to Cyan. Uh, who is it? Uh, Cyan.com actually uh, posted this back in... What's the date on this post? I don't know. I think I think this has been a little while now, maybe like back in uh, March that they posted this. Anyway, uh, the, the article reads, Area Man Lives, a new collaboration between Numinous Games and Cyan Ventures. Uh, they wrote, We announced Cyan Ventures with the belief that now is the time to explore the possibilities in VR storytelling. Our goal is to foster visionary game narratives from independent developers. It is for this reason we are excited to announce our next venture into this space area man lives is a collaboration between numinous games and if you haven't heard of them they go on to say the award-winning studio that created that dragon cancer uh, which you can find my review on our uh, youtube channel youtube.com slash christian geek central anyway uh those guys and Cyan Ventures. Uh, this is a reimagining and completion of a former title developed by Numinous Games named Untethered. For those unfamiliar with the project, they continue, Area Man Lives sets the player in the hot seat as a small-town radio show DJ. As the game begins, the on-air sign lights up, and the producer reminds the player that they have to speak out loud to begin the show. The player continues to interact with their voice, recording commercials and interviewing callers. They play records and pass the time with their odd duck producer until their shift ends only when local news news uh, only when local townspeople excuse me start calling in does the player discover just how strange their coastal community can be when the stakes are raised can the player do anything to prevent the death of the area man who insists on saving the day uh this sounds like a really interesting game to me i've talked about this on the christian geek central podcast before when i mentioned this story uh but i will definitely be uh keeping this on my radar looking for updates on it and hopefully it will find its way to playstation 4 which is the console i'd be most likely to play this on and also a non-vr version would be awesome (laughs) but you know uh if not i can just add one more reason to eventually get around to vr someday because this sounds like a really interesting project and uh so Adesco, uh the publisher the video game publisher recently tweeted adam's venture origins is making its way to nintendo switch solve intricate puzzles discover clues and unravel the secret of eden and this is a video game that is uh, from what I understand, not like blatantly Christian, but is certainly coming from a Christian biblical perspective. It's a series of, uh, the Adam's Venture series is a series of adventure games, kind of with an Indiana Jones type of character, uh, and, you know, doing archaeological exploration and adventuring and stuff like that, but from a, uh, biblical viewpoint in its, uh, scripting and its creation. So, uh, if that interests you, Adam's Venture Origins coming to Nintendo Switch, they did not include a, uh, release date in there and with everything going on with the uh with COVID-19 that would probably be in flux anyway but just put that on your radar if that interests you Adam's Venture Origins coming to Nintendo Switch finally in some video game news Soma Games who uh on their about page you know does make it clear that they are uh Christians and producing games from that uh viewpoint recently announced that Wind Up Robots Classic is now available on iOS and Android And I really don't know uh, anything about this game. The description reads, Choose your robots to battle an onslaught of monsters from cow-spawning alien ships to beaver-toothed T-Rexes. So there you go. If that sounds interesting or fun to you, uh, or you want to just kind of see what's going on in the world of Christian games, then uh, be sure to check out this one, Wind Up Robots Classic. Again, available on uh, Apple, Apple iTunes and on Google Play. 
And now I'm going to turn it over to Adam David Collings to give us some news from the world of Christian geek fiction publishing. John Della Rose has released Colony Launch on the 22nd of April. This is the first in a new series set in the same universe as his space opera, The Stars Entwined. Humanity is at war. Many citizens want no part in it. In this series, a governor leaves a group of colonists to escape the war engulfing Earth and start a new life elsewhere. For fans of Babylon 5 and Robert Heinlein's classic, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Ted Decker and his daughter Kara have released a four-book series for kids called The Dream Traveler's Quest. These books are designed to help kids discover a whole new way of looking at themselves. They are adventure-based Christian fiction that will expose kids to an incredible ride filled with love, joy, fear, and peace. And I believe these books are available exclusively through Ted's website. Elizabeth Klein has released Shadow Helm of Glory, book four in the Beth Loria series. These books follow two brothers and their elf allies. In this installment, they are hunted by a demon that replicates its last victim. The first book in this series is called Firelight of Heaven. Thank you again, as always, Adam, for that. Guys, that was like less than half of the stories that Adam reported on this month. Uh, and that doesn't even count like what he put out, put out last month when I uh, was not putting out a Christian Geek Radar segment. Adam was still faithfully putting, him out, putting out his uh, Christian science fiction and fantasy bulletin uh, back in March. And so there's just a ton more stuff. If you really want to be clued in to what's going on in that world of publishing, you definitely want to check out uh, the YouTube channel of Adam David. David Collings. Uh, you can get to tons more content, including his new podcast, Nerd Heaven, on his YouTube channel and learn more about Adam at adamdavidcollings.com. Uh, if you'd like to suggest a website to be featured on the Christian Geek News Radar, you can drop a link in the comments or email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com. It may not make its way into the video version that I put out once a month, well, there's a pretty good chance that I'll feature it on our uh, Twitter feed. I really use that to uh, give a much more frequent and unfiltered uh, spotlight to things going on in the world of Christian geekery. So if you want to stay up to date on notable news like sales that come and go really fast and are, or other time-sensitive type stuff, you can stay clued into uh, all of that a whole lot better by following us on Twitter at Christian underscore geek. All right, that's all for now. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. Next week, normally I say this week at spiritblade.com or whatever it is I'm going to talk about, but I want to give you some advance warning. Next week, uh, next weekend, May 8th through the 10th, you can download for free Spiritblade Dark Ritual Legacy Edition over at spiritblade.com. This is the second part of our genre-bending, action-packed uh, audio drama trilogy. The first part, Spiritblade, the Legacy Edition, is always available for free over at spiritblade.com. Uh, but next weekend, 
from May 8th through the 10th, you'll be able to download the second part in the Legacy Edition format, Spirit Blade Dark Ritual, for free. And then not too long from now, I'm going to be doing a summer sale, which will allow you to get the third part at a discount. So this is really, you don't want to miss this opportunity. If you've never uh, even heard of these audio dramas, or you've maybe thought about them, whatever the case may be, these things are free. Uh, so the, the first one and the second one, uh, but the second one only from May 8th through the 10th, spiritblade.com. Uh, let's see here, at youtube.com slash Central. You can find my uh, video, the video version of a lot of the content on this episode of the show, my reactions to Google Stadia's first event of the season, uh, my really lengthy wish list and predictions video, and then also I got a promo up about the free download of Spirit Blade Dark Ritual Legacy Edition. I posted the video version of the Christian Geek News Radar, talking about the makers of Mist and how busy they've been lately. Uh, then by now you should also be able to see my review of the first two episodes of the series premiere of Upload on Amazon Prime. And then finally, uh, you should be able to find a, a, a promo on the YouTube channel for my Bang for Buck live stream, which is also going to be next weekend on Friday, May 8th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific. I'm going to specifically be playing for four hours uh, video games that I think are cheaply available now or that you may even already have in your video game collection and are worth playing for the first time or even coming back to if you've already finished them. Uh, I thought that would be kind of a fun thing to do in this time where many people are still in quarantine and also probably more budget conscious than usual. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you guys will join me for that. And I'm going to, I'm planning on uh, uh, asking for in the chat for you guys to give shout outs to the games that you think give you a lot of bang for your buck if you were to go and buy them right now, either digitally or used or whatever the case may be. Um, so anyway, looking forward to that. Always enjoy connecting with uh, with you guys. So that will be at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central next Friday, May 8th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific. And while you're visiting that channel, if you want to like, share, subscribe, subscribe, click that notification bell, whatever else you want to do to share the content, stay connected to it, I would be very grateful for that. Uh, Let's see. Oh, I want to remind you again uh, that you can support all the work that I'm doing with with both Spirit Blade Productions and Christian Geek Central over at patreon.com slash Productions by signing up and becoming a uh, patron of any support tier. Uh, the the lowest is $1, and you can get some great exclusive content just jumping in on that level, and then the benefits only increase from there at the different support tiers. And at 30 patrons, of which we are four away. Now, I've been saying for weeks now that we're three away, and then uh, th- that number changed. I was like, what is going on? And for some reason, we were never at three away. I-, I don't know why it was like that. I don't know why it was indicating that to me. So that was, we didn't, as far as I can tell, we did not lose one of our patrons. Um, but for some reason, it was giving me a weird number. I don't know if it tells me that they're, I don't know if you can have a patron that is signed up at zero and they're not getting benefits, but they're still con- they're still counted toward being a patron. It was a weird glitch of some kind, as far as I can tell. Uh, we didn't lose uh, a patron. Um, but anyway, we're four away, four away from having our pizza with an asterisk party on Discord that all patrons will be able to be a part of. And again, I want to say thank you to all of uh, our Spirit Blade insiders and the support that you guys are giving me and this work, especially now. I know that a number of you, these are kind of uncertain times, both uh, emotionally, situationally, and financially. And so your continued support um, is all the more valued and appreciated right now. Thank you so much for making uh, what I'm doing today possible and making it possible for me to plan and uh, and uh, step into new things 
in the future. Thank you so much. For more information, again, patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. Now for the weekly waistline. 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27 in the ESV reads, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. As geeks, we are known for our creativity and intelligence but not especially known for our self-control when it comes to the pleasures of life. So 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27 is the mission verse for me as I aim to be more responsible with my body and grow in my ability to say no to my desires. My goal is to lose 6 inches off my starting waistline of 42 inches. Since I need some help as I develop this discipline, there is a prize pool of fun money waiting for me at the end. For more details about the whole thing, you can listen to episode 565. For now, my weekly waistline is... 38.75. So that is a quarter inch gain from last week. It was bound to happen. I've had three weekends in a row. I thought it was just going to be two. And then we kind of had this surprise weekend away with me and my boys, which I talked about on the show last week. And uh, that involved plenty of snacking and stuff. And it wasn't as crazy, actually, as the two weekends prior to it. Uh, But I think just, you know, uh, enough enough time had passed enough rule breaking time had passed i was surprised the weekend before that i hadn't gained any and i just uh uh still i because i had that initial spike of a half inch and then i didn't seem to gain any after that and then now i gained a quarter inch so but i mean you know weight can fluctuate so much you know and anyway so uh i'm sure that i was at 38.75 you know the, the at days prior to that and the, the the week prior to that but anyway um, I did return to normalcy after my weekend with the boys, for the most part. They are getting these school lunches that the school is still putting out for them and uh, offering to any families that want to drive by and pick them up. And so that means that they're bringing home food from the school, which is great. Uh, that does help them not to just mow down, mow through all of our um, uh, all of our uh, you know grocery supplies here at home. Um, but they are there'll be some things that they don't like be like oh i don't want to eat this and so you hate to see that go to waste and so i end up eating it or holly ends up eating it or whatever and it's stuff that isn't necessarily the best for the kind of uh life changes i'm trying to make and so that i think once this once the month of may is done (laughs) there'll be less of uh foreign substances coming into our our home but you know uh and then let's see what else was i going to say oh yeah at this point I'm aiming for a vacation that we have planned in July, uh, which may or may not work, but, uh, you know, either way, if we go on this vacation or if we stay home, we'll have a staycation because Holly's already taken the time off. So we are going to be off. We're going to, and so there's going to be, you know, yummy snacking and food stuff going on then. And I would like to be at 37 inches by then. The lowest I've been so far is 38 and that was before my birthday weekend and then the other two weekends after that. So that was about a, a month ago, I guess, that uh, I was, that I reached 38, the lowest I've ever been. Now I've taken some steps backward, but uh, I would like to get to 37 by that. And that vacation is going to be the middle of July. And uh, so I'd like to be able to come back from that having only gained about a half inch from being, you know, off for a week, you know, uh, so that I'm not too far off track. So I'd really like to be down to 37 uh, 
We'll see what happens. But that's kind of the goal. It does help me to have goals in front of me. It helps to have like, okay, I've got this coming up where I'm going to snack and I'm going to, you know, to have like these kind of feast days or these little moments now and then peppered throughout the calendar. I'm trying to keep them further apart than three weekends in a row. That was a bit of a fluke, you know. Uh, But, you know, about two months apart, you know, I'll have like, I'll have an exception weekend or something, I think is what I'd like to do going forward. And, uh, And then you know, having that kind of as a goal to like, okay, I really want to do well until then. Um, and since my average has been when I take, you know, a weekend off or a week off or something to gain back about a half inch in that time, um, I want to be able to factor plan for that say, okay, how, how would I feel where, you know, what, uh, where do, where do I want to be at such and such a time around this, this time that I'm going to be feasting, you know, and then add a half inch to that. And am I, am I comfortable with that? So will I still feel like progress is being made, you know, so just trying to factor that in. But in the meantime, I'm reminding myself again, as Paul says in first Corinthians nine, 25 through 27, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. This is not just about vanity and losing weight, even though that is uh, for me unavoidably in the mix that is not ultimately what this is about, and that's what I want to be reminding myself. Uh, there is a greater purpose in this. So, Paul continues, I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Disqualified meaning, therefore, uh, the additional eternal rewards that God longs to give to us in response to our obedience to him in this life. Stay tuned for another update on our weekly waistline next time. Incoming transmission. This week, I got an email from Anonymous. They actually didn't ask to be uh, anonymous, but uh, sometimes when I read an email or, you know, get a message from one of you guys, I think, you know, they might not have known or been, you know, considered that I might want to read this on the podcast. And so depending on what the details are, what they share and stuff, I'll just sometimes err on the side of caution and just say, you know, I'll just call this anonymous when I share it on the show. So anyway, they wrote and said, I'm emailing you from Pennsylvania. I'm a husband, worship leader, and full-time musician. To escape from the stressors of life, I've become a huge gamer over the past few years. Like you, my brain has a hard time shutting off. If I'm not thinking about work, my mind spins philosophical debates ad nauseum. This keeps me sharp and never bored. However, it leaves me absolutely exhausted most days. Gaming and geek entertainment became a recharging outlet I never knew I needed before. Your podcast has helped me immensely in navigating this newly found passion for geekery. At first, I was digesting all forms of entertainment without a thought of the subtext or subversive symbolic layers some movies, games, books contain. It was just entertainment. Then God started convicting me. I started to see my hedonistic ways. This conviction led me to Christian Geek Central. Your weekly wisdom, humility, and pursuit of truth under the umbrella of geek entertainment has been life-giving for me. Over the past year, some of the topics and struggles you've shared have hit me like lightning bolts. I'm truly grateful for the platform you've created. It has realigned my focus to God in every way. This is an invaluable gift. Thank you, Pater. Uh, On a side note, the audio quality of your show is fantastic. I listen to a lot of podcasts and yours is head and shoulders above most. Anyway, I'll be lifting you, your family, and CGC up in prayer. Thanks again. Um, Thank you so much. Um, Wow, that was a really encouraging message to hear. So glad that uh, the content has been useful to you. Um, uh, It's it's in many ways, uh, as hopefully you guys can tell, just an outgrowth of what I am processing, what I am going through. You talk about being, you know, hit by, uh, 
on lightning bolt and uh, I certainly have had oh geez <laughs> okay the boys can now free play with screens life in quarantine everybody they know that though they're chomping at the bit um <laughs> I don't need to tell them that um so yeah I mean like you talk about being hit by a lightning bolt with certain things and and God just seems to use that uh he used to, seems to use like he'll orchestrate things i've noticed that in my local church that things that that uh the uh, the, the pastors that are teaching on sunday mornings couldn't have known about is going on in my life uh they'll be sharing a, a sermon or a thought that like hits me right where i'm at and so that's really the holy spirit that is uh that's active there and choosing to use whatever he wants um, to reach us and to uh, equip and hold us up, you know. So I am so glad to have been uh, a useful cog in uh, in that machine that he is orchestrating and doing. Um, what else? Was there anything else I wanted to comment on? Oh, you mentioned Pennsylvania, which in my email to you, I, uh, I, I mentioned this as well. But uh, we find ourselves out in Pennsylvania about every nine months because that's where my wife's family lives. So uh, if you want to connect, uh, let me know and maybe we can figure something out. There's, it, It's uh, Pennsylvania. Let's see. I met with at least one other person, Nathan James Norman, um, and he doesn't even live in Pennsylvania. But his family, you know, during the same types of vacation times that we're out there, they are, you know, every few years driving through there at about this like for Christmas or, you know, or one time I think it was a summer vacation that we were able to connect up at a McDonald's and stuff. And so, uh, so guys, yeah, I'm almost always, you know, really open to that. If you guys uh, ever want to connect, if you discover that you and I are going to be in the same uh, rough area, uh, let me know. And uh, we can meet at the Starbucks or, you know, McDonald's or, you know, whatever, if you are interested in doing that. And that would be really cool for me. Uh, there's just been a handful of times over the last 10 plus years years that I've uh, had the privilege of being able to do that. And it's been just a like a treasured experience for me every time. Um, so yeah, uh, let's see. Oh, and I also wanted to add that email went in my encouraging notes document. I have a document on my computer uh, in my feedback folder that I use just in general to kind of get an idea of, you know, what adjustments I could be making to what I'm doing. And one document specifically is for encouraging notes. And I started doing this uh, years ago, um, actually when I was uh, leading worship, I found it really helpful to hang on to any encouraging notes because the negative stuff, that just gets burned into my brain anyway, you know, and I'm grateful when it finally, when enough time has passed uh, that it, it fades a bit and I remember kind of the basic sentiment, but I forget the, the details, you know. That stuff tends to stay with me so much longer. And so it, I found it really is a discipline that I have to undertake to to uh, remember uh, the things that are going well, the things that uh, are being effective and useful to people. And uh, so anyway, um, yeah, so that uh, got added to that uh, very, uh, very important document for me. So thank you very much for just sharing all those thoughts, writing that kind of message to me. Um, yeah, much appreciated. Over at the forums at ChristianGeekCentral.com, D.N. Arrington uh, posted Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, which I talk about in my uh, a little bit in my wish list and predictions this week for an E3 season, and uh, he posted the trailer to that, which uh, looks really cool. I won't comment on that much more, but uh, Adam Collings 
replied to that, uh, continuing that conversation, saying, the problem is I want to empathize with the quote-unquote wrong side. This is probably an issue with a couple of Assassin's Creed games. And him saying that, just really like, boom. I, I was like, I totally get you, Adam. And so I'll share a little bit of what I, you know, just a, the gist of what I uh, said in my response there. Um, yeah, I totally get that. Especially in the Assassin's Creed games, they've... Uh, they've showed Christianity or some, you know, really some twisted form of Christianity. They've taken uh, Christianity from its worst points in history and in, in its most warped points in history and made that the representation of Christianity um, and uh, made it the kind of like where the antagonists are integrated, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it was frustrating for a while, but I mean, it's been done so many times now in so many different entertainment forms that it, after a while, it's like, all right, you know, now it's just kind of like yawn inducing. Can we do a different idea instead of the stereotypical, oh, Christians or some made up fantasy religion that looks kind of like Catholicism in a lot of ways, you know, are evil and they're the worst evil in the world and they're all hypocrites and stuff. Okay, get it. I got it. Uh, you know, can we do something different? Whatever, you know, um, but anyway, I uh, I discovered an approach that I like in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. However, you know, because it looks like in this trailer with the Vikings and the uh, the you know the evil king that's got wearing a cross and surrounded by churchy stuff, you know, uh, it looks like once again it's gonna it's gonna be uh, they're good that the people that side in some form of Christianity are bad and the Vikings are good. Because uh, in that trailer, he's there's a voiceover coming from this corrupt Christian king who's like saying uh, of the Vikings, they are animals, they care about nothing and stuff. And then right on top of that, they show the, the Vikings clearly caring about families. They kill everyone without any thought. Da, da, da. And then they cut and show the Vikings clearly allowing women and children to pass out of the environment of, that they are raiding, you know. And so... <laughs> Uh, it's a, it was just a little bit much, you know, I mean, uh, I, I'm hoping that they'll do something. Well, I, yeah, never mind. I'm, I already talked about that already. I don't need to repeat my thoughts, but here's the approach I discovered in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, that helps play the protagonist. Cause you're going to be one of the Vikings in this one, play the protagonist as evil as possible. Now, some Christians may understandably recoil at this idea. The video I put up years ago. Um, can Christians be evil in games continues to be one of my most popular videos on YouTube and is probably the video that more Christians disagree with me on than any other video I've put up or more Christians express disagreement with me on than, uh, it, it's not the majority of Christians that leave comments that disagree with me. But if I try to think of like, okay, how many disagreements do I get from Christians per video? And I think easily I've gotten more, you know, disagreements from Christians on that video, uh, than, uh, than any other that I've put up. And, uh, and so, you know, there, there are Christians that are really going to have a hard time with the idea of playing in a video game, a character and making the quote unquote evil choices as frequently as possible. But, uh, when you do that, the opposition in a game like this one, or, you know, another Assassin's Creed game begins to look less evil by comparison and more justified in comparison. For example, my guess is that if you play the, if you play the moral high ground at every turn in Valhalla, cause you will have choices. I, I'm sure you will. You, you had a lot of choices like that in Odyssey. Um, if you play the moral high ground and at every turn in Valhalla, the corrupt Christian king, 
will, you know, look all the more unreasonable for wanting to kill you. I'm guessing he's going to still be evil and still want to kill you. And, you know, all those guys on the side of some corrupt form of Christianity are just going to be evil and out to get you no matter what. You know, however, if you murder and pillage with animal rage at every chance, then the the people that are wanting to impose you, even though they are embracing a twisted form of Christianity, will at least seem significantly more justified in their desire to exterminate you as the protagonist. So, um, for the sake of giving the opposition the benefit of the doubt in this game, I will probably start out trying to be good and just kind of see how they react to me trying to be good. But the moment the corrupt Christians in the game lash out unfairly, I plan to become the worst kind of evil (laughs) that will therefore retroactively, to some degree at least, justify their seemingly unfair preemptive wrath. You know, so if if the if the if the intent from Ubisoft subconsciously or consciously is to present a vision of, you know, thematically speaking anyway, you know, Vikings are, you know, not that bad and Christians are still horrible, you know, then I'm not I'm not interested in letting them tell that story unaltered uh, under my roof. So <laughs> Anyway, feedback, feedback, give me your thoughts. Strike up some chat on our forums at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Leave a comment at YouTube.com slash ChristianGeekCentral or Patreon.com slash Productions. You type it, I read it, might even share it on the show unless you tell me not to or want to be anonymous, that's fine too. You can also email me a text or audio message at P-A-E-T-E-R at SpiritBlade.com. Would love to hear from you guys anytime and most anyway. Briefly right now, uh, I want to pray just in line with uh, one of the, uh, just a prayer request that was on our forums at christiangeekcentral.com this week. Lord, right now, we just want to pause and recognize um, that uh, things are difficult and uncertain for a lot of people right now. And there is disease out there that uh, many of us um, maybe have not really felt at risk toward, and uh, but others of us have. And... Uh, There are undoubtedly those among us who are sick and wondering, is this COVID-19? Maybe some of us listening and in this community that have even realized, oh, that we have it. And I pray that whatever our circumstances, that you would just give us clear hope and perspective from the truth that you've revealed in your word, that you reveal through reason and good thinking. I pray that you would bring your people into our lives, even with the limitations we have, in a way that holds us up and encourages us. Um, God, there's things that you can do that I don't even know to pray for. And so, Spirit, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and minds and in our circumstances and allow us to see you at work so that we can be reminded of the the reason we have to hope in you. Um, Yes, in this life, because of your grace and your power to lead us through anything we encounter, but especially because of the gift of eternal life, the promise that we will be free of this mess. Help us to see and feel Uh, as a result of what we know to be true. Help us feel the reality of that and let truth change what we're feeling. Let perspective from Scripture, from your word, change how we 
even feel from day to day as a result of what's real? Would you shape our minds and our lives in that way? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Um, Guys, if you would like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you do that if I'm able. Online resources and communities are a good supplement, uh, but by nature they can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we're serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So if we want to say that we are uh, guiding our lives based on the principles of Scripture, then the local church is where it's at. That's where the Holy Spirit wants to be working in our circumstances and in our lives. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, uh, normally speaking, obviously, you know, many of us are are not attending physically a church right now. If I can help you uh, get connected to an authentic, compassionate, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com, and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. Well, um, as we're getting closer to the end of the episode here, I want to take a minute and just comment on the fact that we've hit 600 episodes. Uh, I don't have any big, you know, uh, plans or anything, nothing, nothing I'm going to unveil or anything, but, um, I just wanted to say thank you, uh, to a few people. I first, I want to just give honor and praise to Yahweh, um, and just his grace and patience with me. Um, and energizing the end product. Uh, as I said earlier, um, so much of what I do is just an outgrowth of the things I'm struggling with, the things I'm thinking about, the things that God is taking me through or has taken me through. Um, and uh, so I, I really have him to thank for working so often and, uh, and faithfully in what I do. I mean, working faithfully even when my heart isn't in it or isn't in the right headspace, you know, when uh, uh, when I'm kind of going through things robotically or, you know, whatever. Uh, there are days where that's that's the reality for me. You know, I'm just plugging along and I'm not, my heart isn't engaged like it should be. And God and his faithfulness will still use those things that are produced, you know, in ways that uh, that are helpful to others. And so... Uh, I just have him to credit for all of this. I mean, there's so much that he's orchestrated to make all of this possible. So, uh, And I want to thank um, all of you who are listening, whether this is your first episode or you suffered through the very first episode of this podcast and many, many in between. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for just listening, you know. Um, even if you've never emailed me or been in touch with me before, uh, I do now and then uh, check back on the stats and stuff and notice and just knowing that people are listening and that you're out there uh, encourages me to keep doing what I'm doing. So thank you just for downloading and listening. Um, that's a big deal. Um, I want to thank the Spirit Blade Insiders who have supported me and continue to support me. Um, it, uh, like I say, I think just about every week, um, this would not be what it is without you guys and your support. And there have been things I've been able to explore in the last two years in particular, or a year and a half or whenever we started on Patreon. Um, I think it's coming close to two years now, my gosh. And, uh, that uh, you guys have made all the difference, not just with your financial support, but also with your feedback, you know, because I do give extra weight to your voices. I figure anybody that's willing to, even if they're just, you know, doing a dollar a month, 
A, for some of you, a dollar a month is significant. And B, you know, even just going through the process of like signing up on Patreon and, and giving them, you know, your credit cards for them to, you know, uh, take money from every month, just, just doing that, that's, that's a lot. That's, that says a lot to me, you know, and so I do give extra weight to your voices. And your uh, feedback has helped me determine what direction I should go in uh, in the last two years on a number of different things. And that's been so helpful to, uh, you know, to not be wandering in so much like I, I did for many years. Yes, I still, it still feels like wandering in many ways. But for years, I was like, I don't know which voice to listen to, you know, because the, in the internet age, kind of everybody has an opinion and everybody, they, you know, they won't say they're an expert, but they, they think that they they'll speak boldly as if their opinion should be given, you know, uh, a lot of weight by me. And whether that's them emailing me directly or whether that's, you know, just somebody's podcast that I'm listening to that like, they talk about podcasting and what you should do to be a good podcaster. So, you know, whatever my connection level is, everybody's got a voice these days. And it's, I don't know who to listen to, who, you know, who can teach me what the secret sauce is for quote unquote success, whatever that is, you know. And so just being able to know that, okay, well, these guys, um, what I've been doing up to this point has meant a lot to them and they are invested and they want this content that is undeniable, you know? And so it makes a whole lot of sense to say, okay, well, what do they want? You know, and, uh, and try to, if not just automatically, you know, give them that because it's not, it's not voting, you know, in that, in that sense on everything that I do, but giving a whole lot of extra weight to uh to what they say and so you guys have been just uh, instrumental in the last couple of years uh in everything that i've been doing um i want to thank all the people who have contributed content to this podcast uh over year over the years in the last 100 episodes in particular because you know i did i did kind of a thing for 500 episodes and other milestones before that so um i want to specifically mention um matt and kim first who, uh, during the last 100 episodes, finished up their run on uh, Deep Space Nine Shwarma, which is the the bonus segment after the credits, uh, where they talked episode by episode about uh, Deep Space Nine, you know, which is uh, Matt's, I think, favorite, at least his favorite Star Trek show, maybe his favorite sci-fi show of all time, I can't remember. Uh, But uh, I just really appreciated the value that 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 gave to the show. And uh, um, they didn't get anything from me out of that. And uh, just faithfully did that with all the episodes of that entire series run. And uh, really appreciated the value that it brought to the show. And I also want to thank Adam Collings um, for a couple of things. One, um, he has uh, generously allowed me to use uh, a portion of his sci-fi and fantasy bulletins when I do the Christian Geek Radar every month. And that's been going on for, I don't know, Adam, have, has that arrangement been going for as long as a year now? I feel like it's been for a, a good while. Uh, and that's been wonderful to me uh, as I put those uh, that content together. I try to do it once a month. He is more faithful in you know, his uh, production on that end than I am. And uh, is just a great resource if you're specifically interested in the realm of... Uh, Christian written sci-fi and fantasy, even some horror sprinkled in there, although that's not as much of his emphasis, but you know, it's, uh, it's been great that that's added tremendous value <laughs> to, uh, to that, uh, to that content every month. And now for a good while now, um, he has uh, taken up the shawarma reins after Matt and Kim finished their run 
And he's been doing a great job with the Babylon 5 shawarma at the end of every episode. And it has its own flavor, his own voice, his own style, and it's great. (laughs) And he's self-deprecating and uh, very thoughtful in uh, everything that he he says. Uh, It's just great, great content and adding wonderful value to the show. So uh, if you guys um, are at all interested in Babylon 5, whether you've seen the whole show before or you're thinking about doing it, go back to episode, gosh, where is it in the script? Um, Episode 575 to start from the beginning of his run on Babylon 5 shawarma and uh, continue on. And he's uh, just been doing a great, great job with that. And then one name that I want to mention, I mean, there are, there are a ton of, I can't mention all the, the, contributors. So those of you that uh, have, you know, now and then contributed an article that I've read or shared or something like that, thank you all so much. Um I I I I would forget people that I don't want to forget if I tried to list all the names in that co- category of content contribution. Um so I just wanted to at least uh single out some of the names that like super faithfully like pretty much every episode for years <laughs> have been uh, have been a part of this uh, this podcast um and and in that light the other name i want to mention is matthew silber um that if that name sounds unf- unfamiliar to you it's because i haven't mentioned him really on the podcast but his name is credited on the christian geek central website and when we rebranded the podcast to the Christian Geek Central podcast at episode 501, um, I really, you know, should have instantly, I forgot, to put his name also in the um, the text credits in the show notes for every episode of this podcast. Why, you ask? Why? Because Matthew created the Christian Geek Central logo. Uh, I came up with the idea of the, the mascot and the, the fish standing upright and what he would be kind of equipped with, um, but I gave that idea... To him, and he executed on it, added the text to it for Christian Geek Central, and that's been great for the Christian Geek Central brand, and just kind of like giving a, a quick visual cue uh, of a, what we're all about, you know. And so, uh, Matthew, I apologize that I didn't uh, uh, move that credit over to the the rebranded podcast. I don't even know if Matthew listens to the podcast. <laughs> But he did it for free. He's been connected to my content uh, over the years um, and been engaged with the various parts of my content over the years. So, Matthew, if you are listening, thank you so much. Uh, I just love the visual identity of Christian Geek Central that you have provided through that uh, through that logo and the look of that mascot. Um, there was another. Uh, there was another. Um, person that I uh, checked out before Matthew, um, because I I like, I think at the time I was like, well, I don't want to, he already did this other thing for me. And I I don't like to ask people, you know, I don't like to impose on people, you know, and so I kind of put my feelers out somewhere else, you know. Um, and, uh, the, the, the person that I connected with got my concept and they said, ah, this is, uh, this is too busy. This is, I, I don't know how to do this, all this that you want in this one logo, you know? Um, and it was asking a lot. If you look at that little fish guy whose name we have not invented yet as a community, we took a couple stabs at it, but nothing really stuck. I don't know. Um, I'll let you guys, if you want to, if you want to, you know, revive that thread on the forums or something, you're welcome to do that. <laughs> but there's a lot going on there, you know? Um, and yet, Matthew took all that and really made it clean and simple and and made it work. And I love it. I love it. So, Matthew, thank you very much for that. Um, And I want to thank 
all of you who have given feedback or encouragement or reached out to me in any way over the years. Uh, that means a lot. Whether it's, uh, you know, something that you're disappointed with or not thrilled with in the podcast, sure, that's not fun to hear, you know, but I, I need to know that stuff. It's, and it is really valuable to me, you know. Um, and, uh, and of course, the, the encouragement that uh, you, you send out, like I got this week, uh, that means a lot to me, guys. That means a lot. And, and anytime you've reached out just to ask a question, to tell me about something going on in your life, and you're like, man, I, I'm between a rock and a hard place. What do you think of this? And just giving me the honor of like troubleshooting something with you or putting an idea on the table that you're curious about or ruminating on or whatever, you know, any kind of interaction that you guys reach out and want to have with me. Uh, email or in the comments of some certain social media platform like YouTube or whatever. Uh, I really have been honored by your desire to reach out to me and connect with me and, and, and share with me just some of the thoughts, some of the things going on in your lives. I, I really appreciate that. Um, I'm not going to get retrospective about the, the podcast this time, but if you're looking for something like that, you can, uh, listen to episode 465 of the Spirit Blade Underground podcast, which is the former name of this podcast, episode 465. Um, and you can get all those episodes at spiritblade.com or you can search for 10 year anniversary SBU on our YouTube channel. Cause I made a video version of that episode as well. Excuse me. 10 year anniversary SBU on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. I, in that episode, tell the podcast origin story, how it went from being a side project to really the centerpiece of my work. And I give cringing commentary as I play the very first episode for you and give comments on it throughout. Uh, so anyway, if you want that kind of thing, that would be uh, where you could find it. Thank you all again. Uh, I look forward to seeing just what God decides to do with and through this podcast as we, uh, we go forward. So thank you very much again. And now for my Geek Week, what I've done, what I've planned. This week I had that weekend with my boys that I talked about last week. And uh, we played some uh, Smash Bros. where I got smashed primarily. Um, I, played, I played most of my oldest son's Mario Maker World, because the recent update with Super Mario Maker allows you to create an overworld map similar to that used in, say, Super Mario Bros. 3 or Super Mario World. You couldn't do that before. You couldn't link all your levels together into a world or into one single game experience. Um, and so he was really excited and just went to work on that, on creating basically his own Mario game, you know, um, with multiple worlds. And uh, I did much better in his Mario game than in any Mario game I've ever done before on the first try. <laughs> and I was surprised because, you know, you look at these Mario levels and it seems like everybody just wants to see how stupid hard can I make Mar uh, make a Mario level, you know, and that's their thing. And without any prompting or advice from me on the subject, he created a, a, a game that progressively becomes more difficult and that even like his brother, his younger brother was even commenting on this. He's like, he was like Asher's, Asher's game actually uh, helps you to improve your, your Mario brother skills, you know? <laughs> and I was kind of, I didn't express my uh, doubt of that, but I was like, Oh really? Huh? You know, but then I played it for myself and like he very, he, 
it's like he understands some uh, some principles of game design. Like, here, we're going to introduce this concept in this level, and then we're going to really have you put it to work in the levels that follow, you know. And uh, so that was a neat experience, and I felt better about the Mario playing I did in his game than any, I think, Mario game I've ever done before without cheats. So uh, I, of course, played more Ghost Recon Breakpoint, but really, b- by surprise, the game that's uh, taken over my free time the most lately in the last week or so has been Assassin's Creed Odyssey because of the DLC, Legacy of the First Blade, I uh, finished up this week, and uh, I was going to get on this podcast today and just rant about the mercenaries, because some of those missions, I don't know if you know, if you're not familiar with this game, it's a big open world game, and in this world, as you gain notoriety because of breaking laws and stuff like that, these mercenaries will get sent after you, and some of these guys are really tough. Um, and the more your notoriety, the more mercenaries will start hunting you down. And so I'd be trying to mind my own business on a mission, but you know, I am an assassin, so I'm killing people and stuff and my notoriety's building up. And after a while, I'm in the middle of a mission to take down some big bad guy. And then two nasty mercenaries show up. I, I thought, I thought that for like, I could, I could, uh, like get rid of them in advance, like check the area, look for the mercenaries that are floating around on the world map. Where where are their icons? Okay, go hunt them down first, then take on this mission. Well, I tried that, but then in the middle, once my mission started and I started murdering people, then my notoriety spikes, and suddenly two mercenaries appear from like I, they must have teleported from across the continent or from on some island really far away. I was like, that is not cool. All right, fine. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hunt every single one of you guys down because you've got like a mercenary page where you can track all the mercenaries that you've killed. I'm going to hunt down every single mercenary. And I was going to get on this podcast today and just rant and say, I am coming for you. I am coming for you. Your days are numbered. (sighs) But then late in the week, I discovered... After rebooting my game, starting it up again, after having killed what seemed like all of them, or really close to all of them, started looking at the different tiers that mercenaries are leveled at, and I was like, suddenly there was a bunch of them that were hidden again. You have to kind of reveal them, you have to find them on the world map, and then they get revealed, and then when you kill them, then they are marked as killed. But a bunch of these mercenaries that were killed were now undiscovered. So the game just, like, respawns them, and it lets them be dead for a while, but then it puts them in the world again, so you cannot rid the world of these dumb mercenaries. Oh my gosh, that bothered me. That bothered me. So the best I could do was, in a story mission, make sure in advance that my notoriety is down by either paying off my bounties or going and killing the guys that are... Kind of like uh, the 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 guy who instigated the bounty on me, and then just hope that the special mission itself does not require me to murder enough to get my notoriety up and get those dumb mercenaries to show up. Freaking frustrating. But I, I mean, I'm strong enough now that I can take them down one on one. But in the middle of a mission, when I'm mixing it up already with some big bad. To get two more big bads showing up and going to town. And then all the other dudes that are just normally around. The other soldiers and stuff that are getting in the way. It can really get stupid quick. So <laughs> but I got through that. And now I'm taking on the um, the uh, Fate of Atlantis DLC. Which is going to have more of the first civilization kind of sci-fi type stuff in it. 
you know, even though philosophically, thematically, I have major issues with it, of course, if you're familiar with the first civilization, civilization stuff, I'm not going to get into it. But anyway, uh, but I think that's going to have me like exploring ruins and stuff away from where these mercenaries would potentially show up. I'm hoping we'll see. <laughs> Uh, the other game I've been giving some time to is Spider-Man, back into that. Started advancing story missions again. I, I did some open-world activities for a while, and now I'm kind of kind of getting back into the story missions a bit. And I've been enjoying that. I've been enjoying that. The story missions, you know, they, they still haven't learned the lessons that Ubisoft has learned about how to make your story missions not annoying. You know, uh, they still have some insta-fail stuff in there, but, it, you know, it's not so difficult that I run into insta-fail issues hardly at all. Um... But, I mean, they're mechanically they're there. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, you could encounter an insta-fail, you know. Um, but, you know, I've been I've been navigating them pretty well. It, that's a hard thing to do. I have to, I have to admit, as I think about it, you know, in an open-world game, to, uh, to design story missions that are going to be different from just the normal open-world stuff you can do, but without requiring you to do things in a very narrow, specific way. You know, you want to have these big set-piece animated sequences, but that's going to require you to have some limitations set on you. If you want to if you want to have a cinematic moment, which is, you know, that's usually a passive kind of storytelling, then you're going to have to fit into that with some certain constraints. And so I don't envy them, but it doesn't make the story missions in games uh like this any more fun um unless they're really easy which so far they have been because i've disabled all the dumb quick time stuff anyway uh my wife and i also finished watching um the dracula bbc series there's just one season three episodes each one's about the length of a short movie and uh that was um i didn't like how it finished it was weird it felt very rushed and cobbled together at the climax you know but on the whole i really liked the uh the 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 series in particular, the interplay between the the woman who I won't say what her name is because that's kind of a reveal at the end of the first episode. But there's a female, uh, I was going to say protagonist, but Dracula is almost the protagonist in this series. But it's a uh, it's like a back and forth between them, um, you know, like a Sherlock and Moriarty type thing going on, um, and she is just such a delightful character and and largely because of the actor's performance it's just a great performance i was gonna say it's a cat and mouse game but i told my wife no it's like cat and cat like she is totally his equal you know and is just not afraid of him it's just in defiance of him it's just great and he, despite the fact that he is so much more powerful than she is you know it just makes her character so interesting and bold and fun to watch and so uh that was interesting even if it ended weirdly and too shortly i felt like it should have been much longer i would have watched the interplay between those characters for many more episodes um and it doesn't look like there's any clues or hints that a, a second season is coming but for what it was it was uh, it was good it was good uh now as far as this coming week i'm planning on getting back into assassin's creed odyssey especially with valhalla being revealed uh, that has me anticipating it a little bit uh anticipating it and being in an assassin's creedy mode and i've gotten to the fate of atlantis dlc now which is the thing that the dlc i really wanted to get to that's going to have more of the sci-fi you know type stuff so looking forward to getting into that i imagine i will play some more spider-man because i have been enjoying that and then i think i'm going to watch more uh more upload which i can't remember if i've talked about that yet in the order of this podcast i don't think i have no we're getting close to the end of the podcast here. oh wait i have i have yes so uh yeah i i liked that enough to at least want to try one or two more episodes um so yeah i imagine i'll do some of that and that's my geek week that's it for this week uh yeah 
that's it for this week <laughs> stay tuned after the credits for b5 shawarma with adam david collings commenting episode by episode on one of his favorite sci-fi shows babylon 5 or you can jump back to episode 575 if you want to start at the beginning as a reminder you can find episodes 0 through 500 500 of this podcast archived as the spirit blade underground podcast at spiritblade.com next week if god allows it i'll share my review of the animated movie justice league dark apocalypse war which looks pretty cool. I'm hoping it will be, uh, at least for me. And uh, and then our friends from Speculative Faith are going to share another article with us. And I want to remind you one more time about that live stream, just in case uh, you uh, don't listen to the next episode of the podcast before it happens, May 8th, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral. I would love for you to jump on the chat and uh, give me a shout-out, say hi, share what uh, your favorite bang for buck video game is and just talk about whatever you want to talk about with me till then please consider supporting the work of christian geek central and spirit blade productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a spirit blade insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash spirit blade productions i'd also be grateful for positive reviews wherever you find this podcast thank you guys so much for making time for this show i hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the christian geek central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth the Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. Nothing's the same anymore. Why do I still have to remind myself that she's gone? Why don't you eliminate the entire non-homeworld? Stand between the darkness and the light. Declaring martial law. Tell my own government wants to kill me. Get off their encounter-suited butts and do something. Any crew that executes an order like that is guilty of war crimes. Being a freedom fighter, it's a wonderful thing. But the pay sucks. Oh, we're screwed. Now get the hell out of our galaxy! And that was The Geometry of Shadows. The description, according to the Lurker's Guide, reads, Ivanova is promoted and given a diplomatic assignment. Londo seeks affirmation from an unusual source. This episode first aired on the 16th of November, 1994. And a fun little thing, Elric in this episode is played by Michael Asara, who played Kang in Star Trek TOS, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. There's a lot going on in this episode. I want to talk about Garibaldi first. We catch up with him in the med lab, and he's still being treated for his injuries. He's got an impressive-looking scar from where he was shot in the back. Everyone is wondering when Garibaldi is going to go back to work. He's not sure he wants to. First of all, there's the matter of the new commander. Jeff was Garibaldi's friend. They trusted each other, but this new guy, Sheridan, is he okay? Second, Garibaldi is having a crisis of confidence. Jack was his second-in-command for a long time. All that time, Jack was working for the enemy, and Garibaldi didn't see it. If you missed that, does he have any business being security chief? Maybe it would be best if he just resigned and let Sheridan pick his own chief. There's a moment where he's playing with his gun in his quarters. JMS confirmed that this was a moment where Garibaldi was briefly considering suicide. He's a recovering alcoholic who was shot in the back by his own second-in-charge. 
The only person he trusted, Sinclair, is gone. He's lost the love of his life, and he's not even sure he's any good at his job. JMS wanted to play this subtly. So, we're now three episodes away from Chrysalis, and we're still dealing with the direct aftermath of that episode. That may not sound like much today, but this was a pretty big deal in 1994. I mean, the writers of Star Trek The Next Generation had to fight tooth and nail to make a single episode that let Picard react and recover from his experience as a Borg in Best of Both Worlds. The powers that be really didn't want to let them do it. Fortunately, JMS pretty much held the reins on this show, because... No one really believed he was going to be able to pull this thing off anyway, so they just let him go and do his thing. Sheridan sees what an asset Garibaldi is. He knows this station and the people on it. The thing is, Garibaldi is good at his job. I think the YouTuber, Law Runner, puts it well when he says that Garibaldi is a good detective. He's skilled at putting things together and figuring out what's going on. He's not as good as a cop because he can get a bit hot-headed sometimes, and I think this has led to some of the problems he's had in the past, where he's like a, a little guy on the front line. But up at the top, thinking his way through a problem, Garibaldi excels at that, and we've seen this time and time again already. Now let's talk about Londo and the Techno-Mages. Techno-Mages are an interesting element of Babylon 5 lore. They are an order, not a species. All the ones we've seen are human, but there used to be Technomages on Centauri Prime as well. They use technology to simulate the effects of magic. They refer to themselves as wizards, and in fact, Elric and Zepto even quotes Lord of the Rings. Um, they're all very theatrical. All their, sorry, all their terminology is pulled from fantasy. They cast incantations, but it's all done with advanced technology. And they don't really try to hide that fact. There's one rather amusing scene where Londo's computer gets possessed by a hollow demon, which is basically a very clever computer virus. The Techno-Mages are leaving known space, heading for the Rim, which is essentially the, the edge of the galaxy. A great storm is coming, and they want to preserve the knowledge held by their order. In other words, something nasty is coming and they're running away. <laughs> Elric tells Sheridan that with luck, he won't see their kind again in his lifetime. The Techno-Mages will actually be called back to in the spin-off series Crusade. It's interesting to remember that at this moment, while this episode is taking place, a young Ensign Matthew Gideon is having a significant experience in his life. But I'm getting way ahead of myself here. So, we see Lord Reefer for the first time. Now, not all actors playing Centauri use the same act accents that Peter Jurisic created for Londo. V, for example, doesn't. Lord Reefer is using a very similar accent to Londo. I always thought he sounded a bit French. Now, this makes sense. Earth doesn't just have one accent, so neither should alien worlds. <laughs> Reefer really wants to know how Londo solved the Quadrant 37 problem, but Londo's not speaking. We learn a bit about the Centauri Emperor. He's old and he has no heir. Reefer calls him sick and frightened. There's going to be a power vacuum soon when the Emperor dies, and Reefer wants to fill it. He wants Londo on his side. This could be considered treason, or the first step towards taking the Centauri back to its rightful place amongst the stars. Depends who writes the history. And Reefer wants it to be his group. 
Londo wants the endorsement of a techno-mage, like the first Emperor of the Republic had. He's, he's really starting to embrace uh, his destiny here. Now, eventually, the Techno-Mage does give him a prophetic vision. You are touched by darkness, Ambassador. I see it as a blemish that will grow with time. I could warn you, of course, but you would not listen. I could kill you, but someone would take your place. So I do the only thing I can. I go. I see a great hand reaching out of the stars. The hand is your hand, and I hear sounds, the sounds of billions of people calling your name. My followers? Londo asks expectantly. Your victims, Eldred replies. Come on, Londo, listen to the man, will ya? The final thread in this episode was the Drazi conflict. So every five years they divide randomly into green and purple factions and fight for dominance. Usually this fight is non-lethal, but things take a turn for the worse when the Drazi start killing each other. So newly promoted commander of Onova is given the task of resolving this issue. Now around this time, Claudia Christian broke her ankle, so they had to write that into the story. I don't remember how long they have her hobbling around the station, but it was interesting little character beat that was introduced out of real life. And that's the difference between a novel as a book and a novel on TV. Sometimes unexpected stuff happens. I've got to say, I really like the Drazi makeup design. They're some cool looking aliens. So Geometry of Shadows wasn't a huge game changer, but it very much exists in its place in time. It continues the arc forward, and it sets up things for the future. A lot of Season 1 episodes could technically have been watched out of order, but we've reached the point now where this will rarely be true. So I'll see you next time for A Distant Star.